Hey guys, thanks for listening to the John Campia Show podcast version. This is the episode recorded on Tuesday, April the 14th, titled First Look at Dune Looks Insane. We hope you enjoy the show. But listen, guys, if you want the full experience of the John Campia Show, make sure you go and subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch the video version of the show simply at youtube.com slash John Campia. And remember, if you'd like to get a question read during the live questions portion of the show, you can send in a tip to support the channel, but also to get your question read, just go to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can find the link in the description of this podcast and send it in there. All right, guys, enough of that. Let's get to the show. We have a number of things to talk about here today, but we're going to start off the top and we're going to go off the top with this. Trolls, Rob. Mm. Trolls. Mm. Uh, of course, we've been talking a lot about trolls the yeah. last number of, uh, of weeks, ever since the Universal made the decision to pull trolls from the theatrical release, completely blindsiding the movie theaters. They had no idea they were going to do this. There was no communication between Universal and the theaters, their partners, and all that kind of stuff happened. So they put it out. Now, it should be noted that the first Trolls movie made somewhere in the neighborhood of $46 million on its opening weekend. So now Trolls comes out. Now listen, everything, this is a great example that everything is all about perspective and context. Because I got told by somebody connected to the studio that Trolls did not do nearly as well in its opening weekend of coming out on digital this past weekend as Universal had hoped. But then we saw, so I'm like, okay, wow. Well, I guess I'm not terribly surprised. But then numbers came out yesterday. They're estimating right now that Trolls made somewhere, I initially said 26, but it actually, they're estimating it made somewhere between 22 and $25 million. Which, listen, I get it. Compared to the $46 million that the first Trolls opened in theaters with, um, okay, yes, that's disappointing, sure. But I got to be honest with you. I thought that was a pretty damn good number. And I so I reached back out to the same guy yesterday. I'm like, well, I thought you said they were really disappointed. And he said, well, they are because, you know, you taking they t- were taking consideration. They really thought that the fact that families were stuck at home and they have the kids under the roof and everybody's going crazy and they're looking for something. They kind of anticipated that it would be more. And I'm like, OK, I, I get it. But I'll be frank with you, that 22 to 24 to 25 million dollars is more than I thought it was going to get. Yep. I'll tell you that right now. That is more than I thought it was going to get. And I just don't know how. Look, this movie's going to lose them money, right? I, I mean, that that's a foregone conclusion. We all knew that. The Trolls is going to lose money. But I honestly don't think it's going to lose as much money as some people like myself really thought it was at first. I think, look, I get it. Yes everybody's stuck at home. Maybe you thought that would make more people buy than normally would. I still look at this Rob for them. And, and I say, you got to look at this as a win. I mean, they're going to lose money. Yes. But how do you not look at that as a win? Because that's more than I think a lot of us thought they were going to get. You hear those numbers, Rob, how do you interpret it? Well, look like you, I think it is, this is a new paradigm and, and, consumers aren't used to this yet and i'm surprised like you i think this is a win because this is something new that nobody really had done before and this proves you know maybe not for a movie like trolls coming off of trolls one 
But a $25 million gross is very respectable. And, you know, they're not necessarily sharing that the way they would have to share it with. I mean, I'm sure there's providers, but I'll bet they get a bigger chunk of that than they would if it opened in theaters. Not, for that not necessarily. iTunes is notorious for how much of a iTunes and things like that. So it's it's I think it kind of washes out regard, regardless. Oh, maybe, uh, yeah. Point I, still, I, still, well made. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but I still think it's a number. Imagine when consumers are used to this. Imagine when a movie studio can advertise it's available. What if what if what if a, an Avengers movie opened like this and and they'd been pushing it for three months or a year? What would that kind of number be? I mean, what, what we're seeing is a new paradigm being created. And 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 for one of the first out of the gates, this is pretty good. I think they raise a good point, though, because we're, we're going to get to an L.A. Times article here in a second, but because uh, they they echo this. But I think one of the things some people like me probably fail to take into consideration that this is a kids animated movie in a time when families have been cooped up at home with their kids for a month. They have nothing else to do, nowhere else to go and not a lot of other entertainment options right now. And maybe that played to its favor. Let's let's take a look for a second here. The L.A. Times wrote an article about this and they have some really good insight on this. They said the following uh, talking about Universal's reporting on how much uh, they think they made on this. Uh, L.A. Times said said the following. They said, but that information that they got from Universal is tainted by the fact that the vast majority of mm. viewers uh, didn't ha- even have the option of seeing it at their local cinema. Any data are further skewed by reality that Americans, especially parents, have been cooped up at home for weeks and they are desperate for fresh entertainment options. The movie played on only 21 drive-in theaters. God, I still got to get out to a drive-in theater uh, that have not that have not shut down over fear to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Universal acknowledged that the video on demand numbers are difficult to interpret okay so the numbers are difficult to interpret maybe they're exaggerating the numbers a little bit all the cat even if though rob i i gotta say even if the numbers are off okay even if by universal's own admission yeah we're kind of interpreting and the interpretation is difficult to do right now and even if you take into consideration the context that yeah right this is an unusual circumstance families are stuck at home they're desperate to watch something even if you consider this is like a 50 percent drop practically from what it made in theaters on its first day even if even if even if i just don't know how you look at this as any kind of a disappointment I just don't know if you're universal. Why would you why would you at all be disappointed? Now, they're putting on a brave PR face saying, wow, look what we did. But I'm being told behind the doors they're actually concerned about this. But I'm like, why? This is actually, I think, a really good result and frankly, a lot better than I thought it would be. Look, I don't think you and I have talked about this, Rob, before, whether it's family films or, or movie going or or drive in theaters or whatever. We have to resist, and I know I have to do this especially, we have to resist the urge to try to interpret anything when we're under such unusual circumstances. I get that. It's There's no such thing as the norm right now. Everything that happens right now is not necessarily indicative or reflective of what our patterns will be once we're not under quarantine and we're not under lockdown and all that kind of stuff. And I get this. I get that. So you, you shouldn't look too hard at any of this stuff as any sort of patterns. But again, I that ain't bad. I mean, it's I, I and listen, I'm I'm the one who's like, wow, this is going to be tragic. Oh, boy, this is going to be tragic for Universal. 
whoo, they're going to take a bath on this. And I'm the one telling you now, this is not a bad result. Rob, listen, what would be, let's say you're behind the doors of Universal right now and in their war room. What messages are you giving to the executives at Universal? Maybe one, why they shouldn't get too excited by the numbers, but maybe number two, why there is reason to be excited by the numbers. What would be your message to them right now? Well, I would say that, again, like we just talked about, this is the first of many. And and if we were to look, you can still across down the street from my house, there is a Trolls bus station uh, poster, one of those giant posters. And it says still the poster says available and coming out on movie theater in movie theaters, you know. So the marketing, can you imagine if they marketed this as one of the first direct to streaming world premieres of a major theatrical release, if they had begun their marketing with that months out, so people that were Trolls fans could make it an event. This was something that was thrown together at the last minute that did not have the benefit of massive marketing behind it, and it still made 25 million bucks, which shows that people just, just from the established infrastructure that's already there, enough people found it where they made that much money. But imagine if you marketed it that way so people knew it was coming. I would say you are at the very bottom of a whole new hill to climb. And this this is a new frontier. You're going to butt up against, when this whole COVID-19 thing passes, you're going to butt up against exhibitors, movie theaters. There's going to be a, a whole new universe is opening up and we have to decide. You know, it's like the ring in the expanse when you go through the ring to the next section of the universe where all those planets are to be colonized what are you going to do now that there's this whole new frontier and how is that all going to work so See, and I, I i don't know if we're actually on the precipice of a whole new frontier again i think we're we're falling into that trap of trying to interpret what the new normal will look like while we're in really extreme circumstances sure. I, and i, I and true. i wonder i wonder rob tell me what you think about this i wonder if if they had always planned I wonder how much of, of what I'm calling success, how much of the success of this is attributed to the fact that this was supposed to be a theatrical release film. I wonder if a lot of people might have just overlooked this if it was always meant to be a straight-to-home video movie, but the very fact that it was meant to be a theatrical film, the very fact that it was starting to be uh, um, you know, marketed as a theatrical film, and then the special treat, guess what, guys? You can just watch it at home with your bratty kids that you've been, and I'm sure your kids are lovely, with your bratty kids that you've been stuck under the same roof with for a really, really like, I, I wonder how much of that plays into it. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, it's again, it's it's hard to say. You know, there's a lot of variables here, but I would say, look, we have seen massive disruption. Who would have thought in the music industry and say, oh, I don't know, right before Napster came along, who would have thought that that streaming music would have caused such a monstrous disruption in an industry that had been around for a long period of time? Now, streaming services, we watched the rise of them in mere years. Uh, from in five years streaming, the whole landscape completely changed. So I think that, uh, you know, this is but the beginning. And it'll be interesting to see. I think we need more data, more evidence. And it'll be interesting to see when when there's 10 movies that have debuted this way, big theatrical movies that they, that even are sequels to a big theatrical film that still have a theatrical budget behind them, how it all works out. So I think you're right. Like right now, I think you can't really draw too many conclusions but i see it as a as a win and i think it's definitely something i think when we move forward we're going to be seeing a lot more of this here's an interesting thing i wonder how much this plays into it because 
when you look at films that got released, but then immediately had to be pulled because of the lockdown. Sure. Movies like Onward, movies like um, uh, The Hunt, movies like Invisible Man, which did not do nearly as well when they made the, the immediate quick jump to home streaming as some people thought it would. But then you get Trolls come out. And Troll does. Did it work to troll? I'm just, I, I'm not saying this is, I'm just throwing this out there. Does it work? Did it work to Troll's benefit that it didn't open in theaters for a day or two first, like say Invisible, well, Invisible Man was out more than just a couple of days, but like Invisible Man, like these other films, was that to its benefit? Did that play in its favor? Because I wouldn't have thought so like two weeks ago, but is that something that could have played in its favor? I thought absolutely. I, I, I Because look, the excitement, we all know about the opening weekend excitement that's generated. If people want to see movies, they want to see movies. And, and it is, movies are pretty front loaded in that way. And the thing about Trolls was no one had seen it. And the people, the kids that were excited about it, the people that were excited about it, that liked the first movie, knew it was coming out. They were looking for it, you know, and, and they had that opening weekend excitement, whereas everything else, Bloodshot, The Hunt, they already had their opening weekend. So that initial wave of people that wanted to see those movies saw them in the theater. It's just that initial wave wasn't that big. So when they go to – but I'll, I'll tell you, John, I'd be curious to see what those numbers are over the course of this. Like what does mm. it look like – what does The Hunt look like a month on VOD? You know, or, or what is – same with Bloodshot. When you have a month of that, what does it look like? Because unlike movie theaters where you have this front-loading of an audience going in, once something is on, you know, people catch up with it and they're like, oh, I forgot that was there and I'll watch it now. So I'd be curious to see what those numbers look like in a month or two. And then we and same with trolls. Like, how is it going to look in the long term? Right. I mean, if it follows traditional patterns, which once again, there's nothing traditional about this time. But nope. like, for instance, you look at Avengers Endgame. It made in its first full week out on digital it made 30 million. Now, this is the biggest film of all time uh, made 30 million. Its second week it made, I think they said nine um, so I, I don't know what if it's going to follow those patterns. I think you, what you said before is true. We're in uncharted territory right now. Yeah, there is. There's just no it, it's I'm being reminded more and more every day. There's just no established paradigm that we can compare the current situation situation that we're in, because I'll be honest, I, I would have thought that something like Invisible Man, which got such great reviews, such fat and it's amazing. If you guys haven't seen Invisible Man check it out because it's it's great but i would have thought that visible man having such great word of mouth and great reviews getting such an early bump to to to, to vod that if any film was going to have a really nice big bump it would have been that but the traditional model doesn't apply i would have thought honestly that that trolls and listen trolls is going to lose money but i would have thought trolls was harshly going to tank harshly tank but the standard models don't apply and, and, and it did, in my interpretation, I think it did really well. I think it did exceedingly well. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff to go on with here, guys. Question is, what do you think about this? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. And I'm sure we'll probably get around to this a little bit more in the uh, live questions part. All right. Let's go to one more thing off the top. And that is this. Rob, you know, one of the movies we've been talking an awful lot about for the past number of months is the Denis Villeneuve upcoming film, Dune, oh, which yeah. is, of course, one of the most beloved sci-fi novels of all time, one of the most influential sci-fi novels of all time. 
it's, you know, there have been a, several kicks of the can by different bodies trying to bring on-screen adaptations from it, from the big screen to miniseries and all that kind of stuff, with varying degrees of modest success, maybe, uh, to some degree. Rob, yesterday we got our first look at Timothy Chal- uh, Chalamet as Paul Atreides, and that was exciting. But this morning, Rob, the treasure chest was opened. And we got a really good look at a lot of really good pictures yep. uh, that we are going to start off with. Uh, let's let's bring up some of these because some of these just look fantastic. We're going to start with this first one with uh, Timothy Chalamet and Rebecca Ferguson playing his mom. Uh, obviously on Arrakis now. This has got some the this elicits some great classic imagery that we've seen before. This looks wonderful to me. I mean, look at that landscape. That landscape just looks oh. so gorgeous and beautiful. So that looks wonderful. We, of course, there's more to look at here. I got to tell you, man, Zend- Zendaya, yeah, she is pulling off that Fremen look. Like, I'm just assuming she's Fremen uh, for oh, this. She's, she's Shawnee. Yes. She's okay. She is pulling off that Fremen look. Like, to me, that she just looks Fab, she looks like a desert warrior. Oh, in yeah. This, you know what I mean? I, I just think this looks absolutely stunning and beautiful. Uh, we move on a little bit of a look at the House Atreides in there. We get now, it's hard to see in this image, but we got our first look at James Brolin back there, Oscar Isaac, uh, Timothy Chalamet's in there. Uh, we got um, uh, Jason Momoa in there, although it's hard to recognize him. Uh, then we get a, a good look here. Denis Villeneuve doing his thing. Uh, with Javier Bardem, who just looks, again, looks awesome to me. This looks incredible. And then we move on, get a good look at James Brolin as Gurney. Uh, looking just so sharp in here. I mean, look at this image. I love, this could almost be a little bit of StarCraft. I mean, if you showed me this was a StarCraft movie, I also would have been really stoked by looking at that. But I think James Brolin looks great. And then my favorite image out of all this is actually Oscar Isaac oh, as yeah. uh, as uh, uh, as the head of the families, the head of House Atreides. Duke, Duke Leto. Duke, Duke Leto. Whew, and there's James Brolin beside him as well. I, again, they're just he just looks great. It, the costuming, uh, the the facial look on him. This is not how I. I'll be honest with you. When I think of Duke Atreides, I don't necessarily think of this kind of look. Like remember the miniseries? I think it was William Hurt who played uh, Duke Atreides in the miniseries. Right. That's how always kind of how I. That's that's closer to how I always pictured. I never pictured him like this. But this looks awesome to me. I, I think these look incredible. Rob, what do you think about these images and which ones are the ones that stand out to you the most? Well, you know, again, like you said, I love the way Chani looks. There's a great picture that you didn't put up of Rebecca Ferguson as Lady Jessica with, yes. with kind of it's it's beautiful. I think see that you know me, John, I'm always looking for verisimilitude. I'm always looking for realism. And I think there's a lot I was surprised at how the still suits that Paul and Jessica were wearing are very redolent of both the David Lynch 1984 Dune and the TV miniseries Dune. Yeah, that picture. There's a, but but again, it, it, there's a utilitarian nature to it, uh, as opposed to I thought that that even the the Lynch version, as much as I liked those still suits, they they seemed a little too cumbersome. But these look. These this looks like how something like this would look maybe in the desert. I know some people have said that, oh, you know, the the gloves look off the shelf or something. But 
I, I again, I I think when you're dealing with something like this, the more real that you you have to make it look real. The colors in an environment like this, if you went too bright or you went too black, it wouldn't look right. You know, it would stand out. That's why we don't see four color yellow spandex suits in modern superhero films. And I think, again, there's a verisimilitude that they're they're reaching for. Like, I loved seeing, like you showed Duke Leto in that armor. I'm sure that's when they're first arriving on Arrakis. That is sort of their ceremonial armor, battle armor, whatever that they're they're putting on to show a show of strength. And I like that look. I think that looks great. I can't wait to see what their electronic shields look like. I mean, I I this looks like a a real uh, look. There's Duncan Idaho. It looks like an epic. I mean, this I can't wait to see this. And it looks like I think it should look. I yeah, can't Momoa, wait. Momoa looks really good in here. Jason Momoa yep. looks really sharp in there. Uh, again, I, I I could not be happy. Now, okay, these are just pictures right these pictures do not mean the movie will be good we understand that they're just pictures but it's i'd rather see the first round of pictures and love them than see the first round of pictures and hate them and i look at these pictures rob and i immediately as soon as you see them i think dune you know and, and what more can you ask for than for the still images that you first see to take you there and that's what it does and it's at least a step in the right direction now again this movie may be terrible might be awful who knows but right now I, I think we're off to a good start question here is guys what do you think of these first dune images i think they look particularly badass jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys with that down and out of the way let's move on to our main topics today and how do we select our main topics today well you see it's really rather simple you guys come up with our main topics by simply going anytime 24 7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com contact once you guys get there you're going to see a form fill it out with your topic or question it's absolutely free hit submit and then maybe just maybe you might see your submission as a featured main topic here on the john campia show with that down, let's get on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Austin, who writes, Hi guys, hope you're staying safe. We are staying safe, Austin. Thank you so much. The Hollywood Reporter wrote an article of how an investment bank analyst believes it is unlikely that more debt sources would be made available to AMC and believes investors should now sell their stock. What are your thoughts? All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And listen, this is an evolving situation, this, this situation with AMC Theaters. Just to get you caught up to date in case you're relatively new here, AMC Theaters had gone through a long period of a lot of spending from acquiring new theaters, upgrading a lot of the theaters, creating their prime theater experience, and most notably, creating their AMC A-list program. And they went $5 billion into debt. The plan was... Once all that was done, they start making money and they were just starting to do that. AMC A-List was starting to show a profit from all of their groundwork that they had laid. And then just at the wrong time, the lockdown happened. As a result, AMC Theaters has been in a situation where they have no incoming money. They're five billion in debt and things are looking very, very grim. And they seem to be getting more and more grim by the day. As the person who just wrote in the question pointed out, now a lot of analysts are saying they're recommending that their clients sell the AMC stock. 
Now, they don't hold on to it and expect any kind of a rebound. They're now recommending they sell their stock. This is a new one piece that just came into us from The Hollywood Reporter. They write, shares in AMC Entertainment Holdings, Inc. were trading mid-afternoon Monday down 52 cents or 20%. They dropped another 20% to just $2.08 a share on the New York Stock Exchange. Analyst Eric Wold on the Monday on Monday recommended investors sell off stock in the ex- exhibition giant. We continue to believe, he says that AMC has minimal liquidity options to make it through an extended theatrical shutdown period, even with the recently reported decision to no longer pay rent on its theaters. Wold wrote in an investor's note as the company led by CEO Adam Aaron tries to invest uh, to navigate theater closures amid the COVID-19 crisis. That, of course, is from The Hollywood Reporter. Now, uh, he mentioned there in that article that AMC theaters just recently notified their landlords of all their theaters that they were not going to be paying rent right now until the crisis is done because they have simply no money to do so. Rob, every quarter, this four times a year, AMC theaters was putting out $250 million in rent. That's a billion dollars a year. That's not operating costs. That's not staff. That's not keeping the lights on. That's not any of those other expensive expenses. Just the flat rent check to pay their landlords was running them in the neighborhood of $1 billion a year. That's how much it costs to operate something like that. And again, that's not even all the other costs associated with it. Rob, I said the other day that, you know what? I still believe amidst all the, the darkness right now, I still believe that the studios may step in, that government may step in, a third party may step in, and hell, I might even buy some of that AMC stock because I believe it's going to go back up when it does. But I acknowledge you'd have to be naive not to know that there is a possibility here that AMC theaters might never open their doors again. Of course, yesterday we talked about how they're in the process of filing for bankruptcy as we speak, which could offer them some protection and maybe get them a little bit of a lifeline. But Rob, things continue to look grim for the theater giant. And it's almost a nightmare to think about what the ramifications will be on the cinematic world as a whole, because the studios are trembling right now. The other ex- exhibitors are trembling right now. Uh, it's it's a I mean, there's a lot of employees that are trembling right now. This thing just keeps looking dark. Rob, what do you think of the fact that even amidst the, that they could be getting some protections that maybe some that the stock continues to drop? It seems like this is a story that evolves every day. Rob, right now, where's your thoughts on this whole thing? Well, you know, I wish, look, obviously, investors and analysts have to be realistic. And they they have a a fiduciary obligation to people that have invested money with them to tell the truth. But it's it's it bothers me that that here's a company that really well, yes, they're five billion in debt already, but they're not. It's not like they're doing something wrong. It's not like there's malfeasance happening. You no, know, this, cor- no, this coronavirus this coronavirus hits and literally shuts their doors. They tried, you know, we're letting half the amount of people in, so we have enough distance. They tried to do what they could do, and then it was just untenable. And now you've got people going sell, sell, sell. You know, and it seems like this should be a time when people just everything should just pause. You know, and and. They when the when the stock market when when things fall too far they they put a they put a halt in trading, and I just wish 
why be doomsayers now? And I understand it's all about, but but it's not like AMC. As soon as it will come back, give it six months, it'll be back to where it was. And probably more because there's going to be bigger movies coming out every single weekend now because of the backlog. And I'm like, what about that? You know, but of course they can't tell you, will people go back to the movies? There's too many variables, but it bothers me. I, I, I hope that they can hold on throughout. I mean, we're already getting notices that people are coming back in other countries. Italy is slowly opening up their, their economy again. South Korea has opened up their economy. Slow, methodical, careful with lots of testing. And hopefully America will be there in a month or a month and a half and we'll see it come back. I, I just wish that there was that. I, I mean, it's, it's wishful thinking on my part. I know I'm not being a realist, but movies are all about dreams, John. And I want to dream that AMC will weather this storm and come back. You know, uh, last night, uh, every night, Ann and I, you know, we, we put on the masks, we put on our gloves and we go for a walk because the streets are empty. And we decided for the first time in weeks to walk down to downtown Burbank. Again, streets are completely empty and practicing social distancing and all that kind of stuff. Because I just want to take a look at a, at the AMC Burbank 16. And it's still so weird to me standing there at the AMC Burbank 16, which I am so used to seeing throngs of people in this courtyard, right? That's just with all these businesses and restaurants and then the, the temple of movies there, the AMC Burbank 16. And it is a just, temple. you got to walk up those big stairs. It is. It's completely it a temple. over everyone. It's great. I love that place. And... You know, it just being there and it's so odd and, and knowing it, but it's weird because like, let's look at movie pass, right? As their stock was dropping, there were people who held on and they ultimately lost all their money. And I don't know. I don't own shares in AMC right now, but if I had say like $5,000 worth of stock right now, and I'm looking at this, I don't know that I'm not selling it either. Because I, I, I mean, $5,000 to me would be a hell of a lot of money. And do I want to lose that $5,000? And I don't know. And I guess the question is, now it becomes a race, Rob. It seems to me now it's a race. It's a race against the clock. Because as you pointed out, I believe there is a big opportunity for a lot of money making in the theaters once these theaters open back up. Hell, we're going to talk about in a few minutes the fact that November we've got just in November alone right now. We've got Pixar Soul. We got James Bond. We got Black Widow. We got Kong versus Godzilla. I mean, that's all in one month. Yep. Not to mention a lot of the other smaller movies. I mean, that's a the, summer month. It's a it is a summer month. The question is, and this is what every this is what the announcer are talking about. They simply do not know that AMC can make it to them. They just right. don't have the liquidity to make it to them. So it becomes a race against the clock. Can they just hold on long enough? Can they hold on just long enough for these months to get here and have an infusion of cash come through and revitalize the system? And I guess that's going to be the question. Rob, I'm with you. I sure hope they do, because to me. Like I, I put up, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter. We might have talked about this the other day. I put up on my Twitter, like that, that moment in portals from Endgame. you know, when the two moments, when, when <laughs> Cap gets Mjolnir and when he hears on your left and turns around, sees all the returning heroes coming through the portals. That moment would have sucked if I saw it at home for the first time. 
comparatively because you were in a movie th- i'm in a movie i went back to the movie theaters again and again for that moment just to be a part of an audience when the when the mjolnir flies past thanos and thor and they look at boom it throws into ha- to cap's hand and he turns his face and looks at them and the crowd erupts in pure joy and adulation that's the movie going experience not that every movie delivers one on that level but that's just an example when when a great joke happens on screen and you're laughing with 300 people when a shocking thing happens in a movie and you jump out of your seat with 300 other people there's just something about that experience that will never be the same when you well, watch it on a screen at home by yourself i, I you just know, i mean uh, it, i completely agree with you and think about it though what if amc were to close where are these movies going to play i mean it's not just it's not just amc i read a thing cinemark is getting their need money. I mean, we've got, if you think about what's coming out now in November and December, it's like one of the greatest movie seasons ever. We got Spielberg's West Side Story coming out in December. We've got Top Gun Maverick coming out in December. We've got Dune coming out in December on the heels of Black Widow, <laughs> the Soul, um, uh, uh, Die Another, or No Time to Die. I mean, for we got, we're going to get this just gigantic bevy of riches if the theaters can hang on and 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 I would think as an investor, it all comes down to are we going to be smart about opening the economy? Because by the time if we can get the economy open again by July and and August, we can see that the, the coronavirus has gone away. You've got September and October to get people used to going to the movies and then you're going to make a fortune in November and December, it could it could be the biggest November December for movie movie going ever. And Rob, ever. I I, I want to point out something that you that you just touched on briefly, but I want to point out how insightful what you said was and how important what you said was. You mentioned that the what's really sucks about this with AMC. It's not like this was a mismanaged company that through its own incompetence now finds itself in this situation. Right. They strategically put themselves five billion in debt to position themselves to move forward and make all this money. They upgraded their theaters. They bought new theaters. They got the A-list program going, and everything was about to pay off. It was a smart, strategic move. And then this happened. And it's one thing when it's like, like when it's a situation like Movie Pass, where they just shot themselves in the face. Well, they, and they, were had nobody, they were idiots from the beginning. Yeah, when they had nobody to blame but themselves, and they did everything wrong, and that's one thing. But then you get another situation with a company like this that made some very strategic moves that proved out to be very smart, wise moves, and now they're about to get killed for it. And it's just really unfortunate. And we got to move on to the next topic. But I mean, I'm sure we're going to be talking more about this because you're right, Rob. Where do the movies play? Yeah. That's what that's right. If AMC isn't there, Disney's asked themselves, where does Black Widow play? Where we can make the kind of money that we need to make for these types of movies. That's me. The question. Anyway, guys, question for you is how are you feeling about all this? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Gregory Voigt, who writes, Hi, everyone. 
I hope you are staying safe and healthy. I read in, a, in Variety that Disney has moved Soul from its June 19th release date to November 20th. Obviously, this move is a direct effect of the shutdown, but I was wondering if Disney will plan an Oscar push for this film. Soul is directed by Peter Doctor, who is not just the director, he's now also the head of Pixar, by the way, uh, who also made Inside Out, Monsters, Inc., and Up, which was nominated for Best Picture. What do you think of this new release date and potential Oscar campaign Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, there's actually two stories wrapped up in this. Number one, we were just talking last week about why the heck has Disney not moved, not moved soul yet? Why have they not yet moved soul? That has been the first question that was on our mind that a lot of us were asking about. Why didn't they move this? But this, so now they've moved soul. The other story in here, Rob, that's kind of being buried by the soul news is that The movie that had me most excited at D23 last year, Raya and the Last Dragon. Right. Got bumped. So Soul took Raya's spot and Raya has been moved forward. And the Raya news is being lost in in this. And that to me is also a significant story because I, ever since I saw the previews for it at D23 last year, I have been stoked to see this movie. Really, really excited. But... You know, Disney did the same thing with their with their Marvel films. They just kind of played hopscotch. They kind of moved everything down and bumped things out of their spot and moved them to the next spot and so on and so forth. So it shouldn't be too uh, too surprising to see that. Anyway, this comes to us from Variety, who wrote: Disney has postponed the theatrical release of Soul, an animated adventure from Pixar, since cinemas are still closed due to the coronavirus pandemic. The movie was originally set to open on June 19th and will now debut on November 20th. The studio also announced on Monday that Raya and the Last Dragon, which I'm so excited about, an original fantasy film, has been pushed back from November 25th until March 12th, 2021. So not too much of a push for Raya. An untitled live action movie that was initially scheduled for that date has been removed from Disney's schedule. Side note, Raya was the uh, the last project that my wife was working on while she was still at Hasbro. She's now, of course, at Amazon. Uh, but there you have it. So anyway, we get this. We get the move. Rob, look, we all knew that there was no way that Soul was going to stay on that date. Like, we just knew. The question was, when is it going to be pushed? And again, I'm kind of just grateful that it's only being pushed in November instead of like, January 2022 or June 2021. You know, I'm glad we don't have to wait all that long. And it seems to be a strategic and smart move to them just have them bump release dates that they already had. Now, as far as an Oscar campaign goes, I don't think them moving the dates really has any impact on this. I don't think them moving this, for instance, to November means that they believe they have a legitimate push for a best picture nomination, not just best anime. No, it's just that was the next available date. They moved it there and they're fine. So listen, it's being directed by Peter Doctor. This guy is great. Uh, This movie looks great. This is clearly going to be one of the films in the running for best animated Oscar. Sure. But a best picture Oscar, maybe. But I don't think the move to November suggests that one way or the other. Rob, you hear that they've now moved Soul. They bumped Raya. What do you make of this move? And do you think this is one that can work out for them? Well, I yes, I mean I think it's 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 going to work out for both of those films. I think absolutely that um th- look, they've got to they've got to maximize Pixar movies are are huge money makers. They are uh, all of Disney's films. I mean they've been crushing it whether it's Pixar or whether it's their own animation like 
uh, like a frozen or tangled or something. And they they need to do this because these films need to be given the the most exposure, the most time in the theaters to make their money back. And I think it was a smart move. I think it was something that they had to do. And like you said, they've already got dates in place. And what they're doing is just moving one film off another film's date and pushing that film forward. It's a big ripple effect. They've done that with the MCU as well. I think it's very, very smart. I mean, I think the only movie waiting for us in July still that they haven't moved is Tenant. And, I mean, can you imagine if they move that into, say, December? I mean, my <laughs> God, John, you and I should, like, rent, rent a warehouse out, put in some seats and start our own movie theater in anticipation of of that <laughs> Those two months, because my God, if we could open a new blockbuster every week, I mean, I think we do do very well. But, you know, we'll see. I think it was smart for them to do this. They, they don't have a choice. I, I mean, if for some reason we have a second wave or there's a flare up or the economy doesn't open as quickly as possible or or we, we see more people catch the disease, do you think that a film company wants to be responsible for putting groups of people together in a situation like that? I mean, they, they had to do it. It's, it's the responsible thing. It's the only thing they could do. I agree. And I, I think uh, and I think this will be a move that works out well for me. And it creates an interesting November, which we will talk about here in just a second. Question here is, guys, what do you think about this move from Seoul? Do you maybe think they should have held their ground where they are? I don't see how that would have been possible, but maybe there's some upside. What do you think about them moving into November? Very crowded month right now. Instead of off into, say, 2021. How do you feel about it? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. With that down, let's move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Geeky Gator, who writes in, Hey, John and crew. I was looking at the November slate after Soul moved there and notice it seems too crowded. We have Black Widow, Soul, Godzilla vs. Kong, Bond, and Clifford the Big Red Dog that I'm not sure anybody's really worried about. Uh, all within a few weeks, and many of these films have similar appeal and demographics. Do you think they can all succeed here? Which film do you think is in the most trouble? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And I think for the purpose of this conversation, it, we're, we're going to narrow it down to four films here. Soul, Godzilla vs. Kong, Bond, and Black Widow all within a few weeks of each other. And while they are not identical films, there is a common demographic, though, I think that will appeal. Soul being the obvious exception. Soul more of a family film and all that kind of stuff. So that might be more of the exception. Do I think they can all succeed? Well, frankly, yes, I think they can. Number one, even under normal circumstances, I think this is a collection of films that could succeed um, even within there. It's going to be tough, but I think they could succeed anyway, but we're not in normal circumstances. And I think come November, like, first of all, I think theaters are going to open well before November, but when they do open, we were talking about this the other day, not everybody is going to flood back to the theaters right away, even when they're open again. I think you're going to see a lot of very enthusiastic people getting back to the theaters, but not everybody. But I think by the time November hits, I think a lot of people are going to have their trepidation calm down. I think a lot of people are going to be a lot more up and willing to get back into the theaters, full swing of things. And to have a month like November come along, Rob, I think a lot of people are going to be very excited to get into the theaters. It's going to be a long time since they've maybe some of them have been in the theaters. It's going to have been a while since we had a big tentpole kind of film in the theaters. And quite frankly, Rob, you alluded to this earlier in the show. I think when November gets here, 
<laughs> barring any more unforeseen circumstances, of course. <clears throat> but when November gets here, I think you're about to see a lot of hungry dogs who haven't eaten in two weeks and then all of a sudden a big steak is thrown in front of them i think that's going to be a lot of us as movie 10 fans. big steaks 10 big steaks and i think that's gonna be a lot of us as movie fans so i'll tell you what i do if any of these films i think might be in trouble i know you're not going to want to hear this it's godzilla versus kong i i think that if 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 any of them were in trouble and i think it can do well in november by the way but if any of them would be in trouble I think it's Godzilla versus Kong. Pixar is Pixar. Bond has had a strong, strong showings lately. Marvel, it's an MCU film. What do you want? So I think if any of them are going to be weak. But anyway, Rob, a couple of questions here. Number one, do you think these films can all succeed in that month? And if so, if any of them were going to be, say, let's say uh, exposed, if any of them were going to be in a little bit of trouble, which of those bunch do you think it would be? How do you see it? Look, I think and as far as Godzilla versus Kong, I think when they drop that trailer, I know I'm going to drop my pants and for joy, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I, I'm like, I can't. Maybe I, that's a bad analogy, John, but I, I, I'm very excited. I think the trailer is going to knock people's socks off. At least that's what I'm hoping. But didn't Look, the Godzilla King of the Monsters trailer knock people's socks off, too? Yeah, and I loved it. Yes, I but how did it do? Movie. I, it didn't do as well as I would have hoped, but but um, I have I, I have a theory about that. But I, I I think that that look I I think what's going to happen. There's also going to be a wave of excitement. People are going to want to. I've never dreamt of just going to a restaurant and ordering food. I'm I'm having <laughs> dreams. I'm having dreams of going to a restaurant and ordering food. You know, Lucky Baldwin's this the Trappist the the pub that's down the street from my house. I could walk my dogs down there, and they have outdoor an outdoor patio. They're dog friendly. I've been able. They love. I love taking the dogs. I've been able to go there like in a month. I'd love to. I, I mean, it just. I think the act of going to the movie theater. I want to walk into the ArcLight or the AMC 16 just to smell the popcorn. You know, I I, I think that. When they open theaters, people are going to be so excited to go and sit in a room full of other people and cheer and laugh. I think that I think people are going to go to the movie theaters just to do that. And I think all of the movies are going to benefit. I don't think any of them are necessarily going to lose. I think I think, like you said, it's going to be more like ravenous dogs going to like, please, sir, Oliver Twist, please, sir, may I have another. Give me another blockbuster. What What's opening next week? I want it. I want it. I want it. <laughs> want it. Like the I sang. I want it. It's like I, have, I want the magic bus for 100 English pounds. I, I think I got to get a T-shirt made of of Robert Meyer Burnett's face. that says when that trailer drops, my pants are going to drop. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's something about that. Hey, now, listen, I, I, I got I, I don't often comment what's going on in the live chat. There's some people in the live chat saying, oh, Campy doesn't know what he's talking about. Godzilla is going to kill Bond. What world do you live in? Let's look at the last. Let's look at the last installments of both franchises. Shall yeah. we? Yeah. Number one, Uh-oh. the last James Bond movie, which wasn't even all that good, made $880 million worldwide. Godzilla King of the Monsters didn't make half that. It made 390, 380. And the last Bond movie wasn't even great. Yeah, no, Spectre wasn't even all that good. Look at how much Skyfall made. Yeah, well, and Skyfall made, it crossed the billion mark, did it not? Yeah. Skyfall made over a billion. The last one made eight hundred eighty million. Godzilla: King of the Monsters didn't even hit the four hundred million dollar mark. I don't see any world right now that Godzilla versus Kong 
tops the James Bond at the box office. I just don't see any world that that happens in. But Rob, there's one thing. There's one thing that could change the tides of this, though. And I Uh think this is important. I think one of the big problems from a financial and marketing perspective that Godzilla King of the Monsters had was they effed the pooch when they decided to drop their trailer at Comic-Con a year before the movie even came out. Because that trailer came out, King of the Monsters trailer came out, and it was awesome and got everybody excited and got everybody buzzing, but they blew their proverbial load way too soon. Because then the all that energy, all that hype, all that excitement dissipated as time and months went on. And then by the time the movie came out, I was like, what? Wait, didn't that come out like six months ago? It's out now. If they learn their lesson here and say, don't drop the first Godzilla versus Kong trailer till say 11 weeks, 12 weeks before the movie comes out and you hit hard with a big, pardon the pun, monstrous trailer. Like, and so to the point where now you're going to have a crescendo of that energy and enthusiasm by the time the movie actually opens up in theaters, I still don't think it'll beat Bond, but I think it can easily beat the results of Godzilla King of the Monsters if they market it right. Rob, am I being overly optimistic or do you think that's how it could be as well? No, I mean, look. I, I think you're not being overly optimistic. I, I, I think that there was some early notices coming out of a test screening and, and the director even tweeted out a picture. Apparently it went very well. And what you want to do is you want to time your marketing campaign to create. Basically, it's like surfing. You know, you're creating a, a wave that a surfer or a moviegoer can see coming in and gets ready to catch starts paddling, you know, and paddles enough to really catch that wave and you you ride it all the way into the shore. Well, that's what movie marketing is like. You know, you drop something, you you tease us, you get us to go out there. You know, we, we've been looking at it in the distance. And then when it, we finally see that, ooh, it's a big wave. and I'm going to go ride. That. I'm going to go catch that wave and ride it. That's what you want. And, and you want it to be a great ride. And you, you come into the shoreline completely satisfied and zend out like Bodie and po- Point Break. And then you, you, that's, that's what movie going, it's what movie advertising is. It's, you want to create that anticipation, the swell, and then give people that experience that delivers. And I think that what you just said about movie marketing, you, you, the, we all know it's coming so that you're in the water, you know, and you, you, you want to see that you want to, that trailer when it hits, you know, it's there and you cr- creates that excitement. And then you know, we know when the, the tickets go on sale. Got to get those tickets, man. Maybe a month out, whatever. Got to get to the arc light. Got to be there Thursday night at 7 or 8 o'clock at night. You know, first show at the real diehards. That's what I want. And uh, if they can do that, and they're going to, by the way, they're going to have to do that with all of these movies. Mm, I mean, they, yeah, you know, yeah. all of these movies are in the same boat, John. We might as well forget that they dropped that 10 minute teaser for tenant or six minutes of tenant that we saw before joker or whatever uh forget it nobody knows tenant like wait what people have forgotten that tenant's coming out they have to reintroduce christopher nolan's new movie to the movie going public everyone's forgotten about it and they've got to do that with wonder woman 84 they've got to do that with bond they got to do it with everything they have to remarket this movie as, as if they didn't market them at all 
All right, so I decided, I thought this was a really interesting situation here forming up in November. So I decided to make that the topic of today's question of the day. And I put it to you guys, and I simply asked, with Soul moving to November, who wins November? Black Widow? Godzilla versus Kong, James Bond, or Soul? And I put this up just before we started the show. Right now, about 1,700 of you guys have responded. And overwhelmingly, 56.3% of you guys are saying Black Widow will probably win that month. A solid 28.2% of you guys are saying James Bond, No Time to Die, will win the month. 9.9% of you guys are saying Godzilla uh, versus Kong. And 5.5% of you guys are saying that it will be Pixar's Soul. So that's that is what you guys are saying right now. I'm going to leave that poll up for the next uh, 24 hours or so up on my Twitter. You can go over there and cast your vote. But for now, guys, you can jump down into the comment section. Let us know what movie out of these four do you think will win that month? Can they all do pretty well? If any of them are in trouble, which one do you think it might be? Jump down to the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Mike Winkler, who writes, During the opening of his COVID uh, home show, John stated, this is John Krasinski, stated, It's the closest I'll ever get to playing a comic book superhero. Then gives a look to the camera. Did he just troll us? Drop some good news. Your thoughts? All right. So for those of you who don't know what Mike is talking about, John Krasinski, of course, right now, has an absolutely wonderful little YouTube show that he started just a couple of weeks ago called Some Good News. And it's just him with a crappy webcam, no proper microphone, looking into the camera and just talking about things to make you feel good, just good stories, you know, to make you feel good. And it's wonderful. It's really, really great and so needed right now. And he started off the first one. You haven't seen the first one. He started off with him doing a uh, interview over Skype with uh, Steve Carell, which was really great. And then we're talking, they were talking about the office and stuff like that. It's just great. Anyway, in his newest episode, John Krasinski uh, shows some fan art that people sent into him, one of which was like a four panel comic strip of John Krasinski coming down like an angel and saying, here's some good news, right? <laughs> to which Krasinski said, this is great because it's probably the closest I'll ever get to being in a comic book movie. But then he pauses, looks at the camera and goes. And then they move on and it's all they do that got a lot of people very excited. Some people thinking, of course, that this was John Krasinski's way of giving a little wink and a nod that maybe he does have a comic book movie kind of lined up. And of course, you cannot say the name John Krasinski these days without everybody clamoring that he's got to be, you know, Reed Richards. He's got to be Mr. Fantastic. And of course, you can't say that without everybody also going on to say that his wife should be playing Sue Storm. And of course, everybody saw, and what a wonderful couple that would be. Rob, listen, <laughs> this nonsense uh, has been going on for so long. This, this, like, look, at some point, people start saying the rumors so much that they just believe it's actually going to happen. I am here to tell you, this is never going to happen. You are never going to see John Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic. You're never going to see his wife as great as she is as Sue Storm. It is never going to happen. All right. That's part one. Part two is 
I actually don't believe that anymore. I think he is going to be Mr. Fantastic now. <laughs> I do. I, 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 I am I, I'm just, I am to that point now that I, you know what? If I'm looking in the mirror and going to be honest with myself, I think even I believe this is going to happen now. And that little thing, look, am I reading way too much into this? Of course I am. That's what we do. We as movie fans, we see the slightest little thing in a comment and we build this whole, you know, paradigm around it. And 99% of the time it's all BS and it, it doesn't actually work out. But I have to believe, Rob, I have I have been beaten down. I'm buying into it. Because I've always thought that would be, yeah, that would be great. But I think there's a hundred different actors that would be great as Reed Richards. John Krasinski, definitely one. But I'm telling you, after this, I'm like, you know what? I think there is something to this. I've got no proof of that. We have no insider information. Any reports saying there are facts backing up is all BS. But I, I'm starting to believe. I'm not starting. I'm there. I've, I've joined the club. I've put on the tinfoil hat. I've hopped on the back of the truck. I believe this is actually going to happen now. And something as, simply, as silly as this has maybe bought into it. Rob, you've heard about this. You saw it. What do you make of it? Is 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 was Krasinski really just trolling us? Is he actually going to be the new Mister Fantastic? What do you think? Yes, I think he is. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, you know. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Kevin Feige's not dumb. I mean, he's got his his fingers on the pulse of fandom, and the fact is, in this. In this, you, you've got Emily Blunt coming off of Mary Poppins' return. She's already a favorite at Disney. Everybody loves Emily Blunt. John Krasinski loved Emily Blunt. That's why he married her. I mean, it, it's like I can't imagine uh, how you could find in Hollywood ever now a husband and wife, an actual husband and wife team where the, the husband is is playing franchise characters like Jack Ryan to great effect on the Amazon Jack Ryan series, who is directing A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place 2, which are hits, who's, who's writing those things. And it, it, it's the kind of thing where now I think it's gotten to the point where if they didn't hire them to play Reed Richards and, and, um, and Sue Storm, you would just disappoint your entire fan base. Like it, it, it's gotten to the point where where it's almost like we all believe it's de facto. Like you just said, John, even you're believing it. I think there's a reason why John Krasinski, if you've ever seen him on on late night talk shows or on Ellen or whatever, he knows what's up. He knows what time it is. It, it, it's it, they know. And, and he knows exactly what people would would come away with from that. And by the way. That's the kind of thing you and I would do on this show if we knew that we were both cast in the new Star Wars movie. Like, would yeah. we go? Wouldn't it be great if we were cast in the next Star Wars movie and we'd be like, <laughs> and then turn away, <laughs> and, you know, and let people think of because because you can't say anything, you know, you can't look at how far away these movies, how far out now they're planning, because they need things. I, I whatever. There's a Fantastic Four script that's being written or whatever, and I wouldn't be surprised if John Krasinski directs it. I I don't know that he would direct and right. start, yeah, but, but the, look there. Let's be clear before anybody gets too excited. There's a lot of things. There are a lot of hurdles that would have to be cleared because, listen, there have been a lot of castings that fans have not really been behind and then they turn out to be great. If if it turns out that, you know, Emily Blunt, John Krasinski are not Mr. and Mrs. Fantastic, we'll get over it. It'll be fine. It will. I think it is a great idea. There are a few hurdles that have to be overcome, though. 
Number one is the schedules just may not work. Look, Kevin Feige has shown that he likes to set his schedule and then he needs other people to fit to his schedule. And that's understandable because you've got the MCU is a big machine and you cannot derail the machine for any one actor or any one piece of talent. And I get that. And, and he's right to do it that way. So scheduling may just not work out. Maybe Emily Blunt, who right now is one of the hottest stars in Hollywood. Like we talk about John Krasinski, Emily Blunt is also one of the hottest stars in Hollywood. I mean, it's not everybody that Disney wants to go out to play Mary Poppins, you know, right now. I didn't like the movie, but whatever. They still went out to get her to be Mary. But Poppins. She was great in it. And she no, she was great in it. And you can't just go out if, if you're going to try to make a Jungle Cruise movie and you're like, what lead actress can own the screen yeah. when you've got a charismatic presence on screen like Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Emily Blunt can. And Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson, by the way, came out at D23 together and their chemistry on on stage at any rate was so fun. They had such a great chemistry. So great. She is one of the major stars, most sought after stars. She can sing. She can dance. She can act. She's a world. She can do action. She can do whatever. We already saw that. And once upon a dime, live, die, repeat. No other tomorrow movie bullshit title, whatever that movie was called. We saw her that she can do great, great, great action. And she can be badass and hard. She can be beautiful and soft. She can, she can be everything Sue Storm is supposed to be. Yep. And now here the here the here the whining families. Oh, but she's that blood. Just shut up. Shut up. What? Anyway, what? have we have you looked at a movie in Hollywood? <laughs> I, I know, on. but uh, you, you, she's not blood. Oh God. Anyway, um, so there are maybe she her salary expectations could be higher than what Kevin Feige. You know, Kevin Feige is certainly looser with the purse strings than say Ike Perlmutter was, but you know he also likes to be fiscally responsible he wants to impress his boss he wants to impress alan horn so maybe that becomes an issue i don't know but man what a what a treat rob what a treat it would be in the midst of all this crap even though a fantastic four movie probably is at minimum three years away yeah (laughs) minimum three years away but what a treat it would be If like in a week or two, while everybody's getting so bored of this lockdown and everything, if Kevin Feige were to put out on Twitter, you know, I think Emily Blunt and John Krasinski are fantastic. Like what a treat that would be. Wouldn't wouldn't it just get everybody excited? Wouldn't it just make every, wouldn't it just make your heart smile? Wouldn't it make your heart smile? I think that would be great. But Rob, let, let me ask you straight up though. Honestly, honestly here, understanding the way Hollywood works. Understanding we're all just interpreting things, understanding the reality of schedules, understanding that there are a lot of other great actors and actresses out there who could do a fantastic job in this. Let me ask you to set an actual percentage on this. What's the percentage chance that we see both John Krasinski and his wife, Emily Blunt, as Mr. and Mr. Mrs. Fantastic whenever this comes around? What do you think the chances are? I'm going to go high, bro. I'm going to say 65%. I'm going to go that high. I, I think that, you, you know, you look at maybe they have a different way to go. But I think right now that in terms of the fact that you have an actual married couple that is enough of a box office draw, both both in front of and behind the camera, that you are in a unique, let's call it a perfect storm of <laughs> of, uh, 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 of 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 different attributes that make them. I, I just can't see anybody who's more ideal for the roles. 
I just can't. I think it'd be silly not to do it. The the real question is, do they have a plan for how Fantastic Four works in the MCU? I would hate to see having them and 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 then have it underperform. I don't believe it would, but we'll see. We'll see. And. Uh, maybe Ant-Man 3 plays into that. I think it would be great. I, I, I don't put anything by them. You know, and it's funny, just watching the opening of the... I watched the first hour and a half. I love the first hour and a half of Endgame. I don't even mm. have to get to the end. I just like the setup and all the characters and everything. I like the way they do that. I was just watching and going, these, these people know. They know how to do it. They know how to play us. They know how to play the audience. And I love that. And I, I'm sucked into it. And I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to, you know, I think just because Kevin Feige must watch this show, John. And I think maybe he'll he send that tweet out. Because why wouldn't you, Kev? Our well, Lord I mean, th- Savior. Th- th- Come on. There could be other things. But uh, what, what about this? What about this? How disappointed do you think people would be if they cast one and not the other? What like would it still be cool? Would people still be thrilled if like John Krasinski is Mr. Fantastic and Jessica Alba returns as Sue Storm? Okay, maybe not Jessica Alba, but you know uh, uh, Margot Robbie as Sue Storm or or something like. Do you think people would still be cool with it, or do you think there would just are, are we just getting our hopes set on or really getting our hearts set on the idea of seeing both of them in there? Uh, look, I think people want to see. First of all, they want to see a Fantastic Four movie. First and foremost, because they want everything that comes with it. Dr. Doom, Silver Surfer, Galactus, whatever. But if you cast Krasinski and not Emily Blunt, I do think there would be an element of disappointment because they're married. They're a couple, you know, and and I think who's ever had the opportunity to bring that kind of energy onto the screen? Like, I mean, (laughs) I just had a thought. I just had a thought. Did you ever see America's Sweetheart? No. With um, John Cusack, Catherine um, yeah, yeah. uh, uh, Zeta-Jones, yeah, uh, yeah. Julia Roberts. Okay, it's awesome, right? But the basic principle, the basic premise of it, because here's a problem they could face, and we need to move on to the next. We're going way over time, but still. I know. The, prince, the, the, the underlying premise of the movie is Catherine Zeta-Jones and John Cusack are the two biggest movie stars in the world, and they've been a married couple. They're America's sweethearts. But before their last movie that they shot together comes out, they have gone through a hellacious breakup. And now Billy Crystal, who plays a film publicist, is desperately trying to publicize this movie when all America really wants to see these two people back together again. What if they made this movie with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt? Fantastic Four, they shot it. And then three months before the movie comes out, a huge public divorce and split. And like with that... Then we've got a real life. We got a real life America sweethearts playing out. Then, then you got to figure out a way to get that. Anyway, guys, we've gone on for this for way too long. But what do you guys think? Clearly, there's a lot to get excited about here when, when we're thinking about this as a possibility. What do you think of the chances here? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to our fifth and final main topic today. And our fifth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Darren Friesen. And Darren Friesen writes, Hello, gentlemen. I noticed that the topic of Tron and its possible future has come up a number of times on the show recently. Just wanted to know if you saw that the director of the latest movie, Joseph Kaczynski, just said that another Tron movie is still very possible and it isn't dead at all. 
What did you think about his comments? And do you think another Tron could actually happen? All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. And you're right. It has been fortuitously that the issue of Tron has come up a little bit lately on the show for one reason or another. And a lot of it has been lamenting that, you know, Tron Legacy didn't quite turn out the way that they had hoped. It didn't make the money they hoped it would. They were looking at doing a franchise. Is it dead? Is it not dead? All that kind of stuff. Well, listen, the director of Tron Legacy Joseph Kaczynski did come out and just said something that if you're a Tron fan, you'll probably find kind of encouraging. This is what he said. This is coming to us from him. He says, uh, there's always uh, been interest since Legacy. I don't know why my picture's not there. I just disappeared. I've, <laughs> there's always been interest since Legacy for a sequel. There's always been talk and murmuring of doing another and continuing the story. I think it's still a nice jewel in the crown of Disney IP, and I think there are fans and people petitioning and pushing to continue it inside, inside the halls of Disney. So I think it could happen. Like anything, it just needs the right confluence of it's all about timing and the right elements and everything's got to come together for a movie to happen. That, of course, comes from the director of Tron Legacy. Rob, I know you. There are two things about you. Number one, you are a big fan of the Tron IP. Yes. Number two, you are not thrilled with Tron Legacy. No. What do you think actually taking into consideration what Kaczynski just said? What do you think the chances are here that we could see them try? Because Tron is a popular IP. We're in a world right now where studios are always thinking franchise, franchise, franchise. What do you think? Could we see another Tron film at this point? I I actually think so. I just made a cursory glance at Box Office Mojo. Tron Legacy made $400 million worldwide. Now, it was expensive. It was about $175 million. So not a big hit, obviously. But still... Not a not a complete utter failure either, and so I I think what's really interesting about the Tron franchise. Obviously, you know, I made a feature length documentary about the making of the first Tron that's on the Blu-ray and on the original 20th anniversary DVD. And I, I talked to Dick Cook, who was at the time the head of the studio. He's in my documentary, and there was a lot of love for Tron over the years. People have grown up with it, even though I wasn't thrilled with Tron Legacy. There was a lot about it that was still very cool. And I think Tron is one of the most underexploited. Why Why isn't there a, a giant sandbox video game of Tron? You know, why isn't there, why isn't the Tron IP being, being utilized in other forms? You'd think that somebody would do a killer Tron video game that would be just as cool as Red Dead Redemption 2 or Final Fantasy 7 the remake. I mean something along those lines. You but they haven't really done it. And I've always found it sort of strange that that they've never done that. I think Tron is ripe for a resurgence. It's been a decade since Tron Legacy. I think you know, now there's even more people than ever. We have a whole new generation of new gamers and people that have rediscovered the film. There's an even bigger audience now than there has been. I said that when I was making my documentary, they thought there was going to be no excitement for the 20th anniversary DVD of Tron. They didn't think it was going to sell at all. And I said, you're crazy. I'm not going to do a 15-minute documentary. I'm going to make a 90-minute documentary, and it's going to sell. And lo and behold, it was their biggest catalog title of 2002. They were surprised. And I think no one at Disney really understands the potential of Tron if it's done correctly. And I think Kaczynski, if, if Top Gun Maverick is huge, 
maybe he'll have the ability to get another one made. Yeah, it, it's, it's suddenly the the what have you done for me lately stuff with directors carries a lot of weight. And uh, we'll see what happens there. Question is, guys, what do you think about the comments from the director of Tron Legacy? Would you even be interested in another Tron at this point? Maybe you'd be super stoked. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down and out of the way, uh, Rob and I are now going to do as we always do just before we get into our live questions, and we are getting into our live questions here in just a bit, but we're going to take a quick uh, couple of minute break here, give ourselves a chance to stretch our legs, rest the vocal cords, refill our drinks, give you a chance, run, use the bathroom, talk amongst yourselves if you will. So if you guys will hang tight, don't go anywhere. We will be right back. back a little bit earlier than anticipated but i hope you guys had a chance to run use the bathroom now let's get into our live questions you guys have been sending in a bunch of them so let's get over to it starting right now we're getting started here with uh, viking chris who writes hey john and friends uh who sends it by the way a 50 dollar uh tip thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level dude that's really generous thank you for that man uh thank you for all you do just wanted to put my uh two all-time favorite films on viewers radar the night of the comet 
1984 and The Sure Thing from 1985. Uh, if you are able to find them, they are a worthy watch. You know what? I haven't thought about The Sure Thing for a while. We just sp- spoke about John Cusack a little bit earlier in the show. That's a John Cusack film. It's kind of a road road slash romantic comedy in a way and i believe um oh was it was it uh renner who directed that reiner i mean right it's I think rob it was, reiner i think rob yeah, reiner directed daphne zaniga and uh john cusack uh anyway rob uh, night of the comet the sure thing which one stands out to you there well john would you be surprised to know I own both of those movies on Blu-ray? I'm not surprised in the least. Uh, I saw both of those movies. I saw Night of the Comet. Open, I think I saw it opening night. And it's it's a hilarious... If you've never seen it, it's, 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 a, it's a horror comedy about the end of the world. And uh, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. This comet comes and the people that aren't dissolved immediately... If they've only got a glimpse of the comet, they become these zombified creatures. And it's basically about two valley girls that survive that apocalypse and how they survive in an empty Los Angeles. And it's darn funny. And uh, I love that. And the sure thing, the the sure thing is a really, really great. um, It's a really great romantic comedy. It's a road rom-com, and I I really do love it. I mean, John Cusack is called by his friend. It's Anthony Edwards, you know, later yep. went on ER fame. From Top, and Top Gun. And he's out. He's in California trying to get his friend to come from, you know, the wintry East Coast. Come to California. I'll set you up with a hot chick. She's a sure. Who's a sure thing. And uh, he sets out on the road with Daphne Zaniga, who's going to meet her stuffy boyfriend. And, of course, they fall in love on the, on the trip there. And I love it. I love the sure thing. I think he made it. I want to say he made it after Spinal Tap, but before Stand by Me. I'm not sure, but I think he did. Maybe he made it after. But I, it's a delightful movie. Both. All right. Th- thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, both really, really good picks, man. All right. Next up, Life Finds a Way writes top ten favorites. Jaws. What a great. I don't see enough people put Jaws on their top ten list. Uh, Jurassic Park. Dumb and Dumber. Anchorman, The Dark Knight, Ghostbusters, Tombstone, The Lion King 1994 version, Forrest Gump, Mortal Kombat, Guilty Pleasure, dude, it's a guilty pleasure of mine too, don't apologize. Also, honorable mention uh, for your unholy trinity, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Yeah, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is also pretty bad, but when you understood that the first one was also pretty bad, listen, the first Mortal Kombat movie is terrible, but... I love it. I love it in all its awfulness. But yeah, that one's there too. Good on you. Nice. Again, I like it when people like Life Finds a Way put in a mixture in the top. Because sometimes people send in top tens. It's like all the same kind of movie. This is a nice little mix, like from Jaws to Anchorman, from Forrest Gump to Mortal Kombat. I like it. Love the list for Life Finds a Way. All right. Nerd Aaron writes, uh, one, would it be possible to hold short charity live streams on weekends? We're obviously not going anywhere. Two, I would love it if Thor 4 has a Thor and Quill doing a push-up, pull-up, bench press uh, compilation. Um, Well, I mean, here's the thing. What, when... I can't replace my, for instance, Saturday here. This is the, this is the problem. I can't replace my Saturday open mics because I will go, I'll go broke. Like if if I do, if I, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, um, one of the reasons why we don't do like say a lot more of the charity live streams is that because those charity streams take place of my regular work. And when I'm not doing my regular work, 
I don't get paid. And when I don't get paid, I don't have the money to pay other people. And like, I'm not, despite what Google says me being worth $8 million, I assure (laughs) you I am not. Um, And I just don't, I I can't afford to do it that often. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality. I mean, I I know I shouldn't say that publicly, but the reality is I can't afford to replace my regular work with the, the, uh, the charity streams too often. I, I just, I can't afford it. I mean, that's just the reality of it because, you know, I, when I replace the show with, um, with that, I lose, I lose hundreds of dollars and I need that money to pay myself, to pay the people who work for me, to pay for the gear, to pay for the rent, to pay for the uh, software subscriptions, all that kind of stuff. So I can't. And then, well, then what about Sundays? Well, then I have been really trying hard not to work seven days a week. I've been trying very hard not to work seven days a week. Um, and that, so it just doesn't become practical. So I want to continue doing stuff like that moving forward, but it's it has to be periodic, you know? It, it can't be the regular things because I just won't last. And like even just doing a show like this where we're going two hours, although this show is a lot easier for me to do two or three hours because for a lot of it, I have somebody like Rob or an Aaron with me where they're talking half the time too. And so that I can go a lot longer that way. But you know, regular weekend things is just, it's not possible for me to do it. Uh, that's, that's the unfortunate thing. Anyway, thanks for asking that nerd, Aaron. All right. Next up, uh, Kevin from Canada writes, hi, John, my question, will Zack Snyder return to DC films in the director's chair? They'll never have him back. Uh, we all know, uh, since his family tragedy, Warner, B- Warner brothers hijacked justice league and went in a different direction. And he and his wife were producers on wonder woman and Aquaman. Is there hope for Zack? No. Uh, well, actually, look, there's two different answers to that question. Is there hope for Zack? Yes. I mean, he's got a new, uh, that new zombie film coming out that I actually think looks pretty interesting. The one he's doing, uh, for Netflix. I think that could be a lot of fun. You're going to see Zack Snyder still making movies zach back in the dcu no i don't think warner brothers wants him they they were simply warner brothers was simply not happy with the films that he produced rightly or wrongly fairly or unfairly they just weren't happy with it and they didn't hijack it that like everybody's got to understand that's their movies they didn't belong to zach snyder it's warner brothers movies it's their movies so you got to keep that in mind. But whereas I personally, you know how I feel about Man of Steel. I think it's one of the greatest comic book movies ever made. But, you know, the fact of the matter is Warner Brothers was not happy or impressed with the direction he took their films. And they part away. So, no, I don't think you're ever going to see. Number one, I don't think Zack Snyder ever wants to come back. Number two, I don't think Warner Brothers wants him back. And I think Zack Snyder will continue to make Zack Snyder films and he will be just fine. And he will. And I'm looking forward to this new one. Rob, what do you think? I look. I agree with everything you said. I I I don't think that Zack Snyder is in any hurry to work with, with Warner Brothers again. I mean, obviously they have a relationship. He's still getting paid on these movies, but he's off doing his other thing. You know, uh, and I think that that's what filmmakers do. They they go to where they're respected. They go to where they can get their budgets, and they go to where they know their movies are going to get distributed properly. And um, I I just see that that's just the case. And I think in a way. I think Zack Snyder was let down twice by Warner Brothers, both with Batman v Superman and Justice League. I think they're, they they those movies were second guessed late in the game, and twice by a regime that's no longer there at the studio. And I just think that uh, he would be, even if they wanted him back, he would have to be like, eh, I don't know, I don't know, I need some reassurances. 
All right, and I, I I don't think they do want him back. I think that's I think no, that's I a don't mutual either. that is a mutual not wanting to get back together uh, situation there. I think it's a mutual not wanting to get back together. All right, Mr. T.J. Lynn writes. Uh, starting at year 2002, I checked with the expect with the exception of silence. Scorsese's films have cost upward of 80 million dollars. Gangs of New York, Av- uh, Aviator, Wolf of Wall Street, Hugo all cost more than 100 million. Uh, great uh, as they are, I'm surprised how expensive they cost. And you know, for instance, Hugo, Hugo's a movie where yeah, I could see how that one would be expensive. I could see how Hugo would be really expensive. Uh, Aviator also had a lot. It was a, very much a period thing that could get expensive. But yeah, Rob, it's just we've been talking about the, the last couple of days. Scorsese's just been getting more and more money hungry, not for himself, but for how much he wants to spend on making these movies. And it's just getting again for this new one that we were just talking about with DiCaprio. He wants to he wants 200 plus million dollars and is making all the studios pass. But I don't know what. Why do we see a filmmaker like Scorsese? Get, making the price tag get higher and higher. I I honestly don't understand. To be honest, I, I really don't. Um, he's made ex- Hugo was a very expensive movie, and uh, seeing what the Irishman cost because I'm sure salaries, but a lot of it went to those special effects. Um, I just don't know why he's made period pieces before, and I don't understand where what he's trying to do with this with this film and why the budget is so gigantic unless it has to do with upfront salaries but i can't i can't believe that it would i, I really don't understand and why he thinks he can he needs it what what a creative look movies are creative and it when you when you don't have enough budget it's not like it's a five million dollar movie he's trying to make i mean if you've got a 200 million dollar movie you can't cut your budget back to 150 million like on a on a period piece that's set in Oklahoma. I, again, I haven't read the script. I don't know, so it's hard for me to comment. But I just I can't see that a movie like this costs two hundred million dollars. I really I I'm baffled by it, John. Absolutely baffled. All right, uh, let's move on here. Fifty Shades writes, um, "Thanks to you, I'm going to start calling movie theaters the cathedrals of movies from now on." That's kind of how I feel, and a lot of them are built that way too. But it is. I feel like for me, when I walk into a movie theater, I feel like it's a holy experience. I love going to movie theater. Anyway, Brandon writes, "Trolls World Tour just nabbed the biggest digital debut ever, um, even more than Endgame." What the hell? I know uh, everyone's at home, but I only started seeing advertising for this film two weeks ago. How is this even remotely possible? Well, I mean, honestly, there are a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, it's remotely possible because as Rob and I have been telling people for a long time, home video does not make a lot of money. Like if there's, there's this there's still this myth out there that home video releases make all this money and they don't. They simply don't. Rob, a great example of this is he brought up Endgame, right? Endgame in its first week, nearly in its first week in theaters, nearly made a billion dollars in its first week. It nearly made a billion. It didn't quite get to a billion in its first week, but a billion dollars in its first week. Okay. You know how much Endgame made on home video in its first release in its first week of release on home video? Rob, I don't know if you know the answer to this already or not. I don't. Do you want to take a guess? Okay, remember, almost a billion. I know, billion, when you say home video, are you including streaming and all of that or yeah, physical media? How, yeah, 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 streaming, home video, yeah, streaming, all that. So first week of release made almost a billion in theaters. 
what its home video availability release made. Any guess? Throw a number out there. 50 million. 30 million. And that was for the biggest movie of all time. The previous single day record was like two point something million. That was held by Jurassic World. Two point something million. That That's just, and again, I throw that number and we are living in times that are not normal right now, but I'm just saying that is a number to me that really illustrates the discrepancy and the difference between theatrical versus home video. Now, we are living in an unusual time where the regular rules don't apply. So, well, number one, it's the biggest thing ever. Yes, but you got to understand that the home video makes that much money. It doesn't make a lot of money. And again, I point everybody back to that Hollywood Reporter Studio Heads Roundtable video that they put out a couple of months ago where you had all the heads of the studios talking about certain topics. And they, they talk about the very fact that home video doesn't make a lot of money, uh, not right. like it used to way back in the day. So you had a very, very low bar to start. Number two, this is the first film right now that was supposed to be a theatrical release, got a big theatrical release push, and then instead of getting any play in theaters, it went straight to home video. There's that. You also have to take into account what the Los Angeles Times is writing that, and, and what they said themselves. Everybody's trapped at home right now. There are families with kids trapped at home, and they have been so for weeks so that plays into it too. So again, it's it's very difficult to ascribe any kind of, to, to suggest that we found any type of new normal or see any type of a pattern or how the rules apply because it's very different, but, but that's how it happened. Uh, that's how it happened. And could it be a sign of further things to come? Maybe, but again, when things are so unusual, it's hard to try to think you can see any sort of pattern for once world the world gets back to normal. So I'm not sure. Rob, what do you attribute it to? Just off the top of your head. <clears throat> well, I, I, again, I think it's all of those factors, but I also think, look, it was a, it was ultimately it's a new movie. It made its debut on this platform, and people are home. I don't think you know it's necessarily rocket science. Uh, I, I think it was the right movie at the right time, and, and it's pulling down those kinds of numbers. And I think it's like we said earlier, it's the beginning of a new paradigm. And once people are used to it, they're going to be looking out for it. You know, if people know in a year or two or three that a movie opens day and date streaming uh, as it does in theaters, uh, I think we're going to see a huge sea change in the business because, you know, there's a lot of families that wait till week two, three and four of a movie being in release to even go. So the matinees will probably be cheaper. But uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just a new thing. It happened and no one had seen this before. And Remember, Endgame already made all the money. It became the highest grossing film in the theaters before it came out. Everybody had seen it. You know, it was fun to get it, but it's like it was played out. And this movie, nobody had seen it. And that's why I think it made money. Not I mean, as much it, money, but. Isn't there something to be said, though, because everybody saw Endgame and everybody knew they loved it and they wanted it and all that kind of. I mean, I don't know. To me, it's it's a that's a, that Endgame number to me is a staggering number. It really is a stag when you look at the discrepancy between the theatrical versus yeah. thing, and it, it, it's it's it says a lot. Unfortunately, okay, we need to keep flying through here, guys. Uh, next one up, Mr. T.J. Lynn writes: Unless Killers of the Flower Moon is actually shot on the moon, I don't even think Netflix or Apple will give him two hundred million dollars to make this film, especially if it's another three plus hours R-rated drama. I I think 
Rob, I, I agree. I think he may find a little bit of a hard time. Or do you think it's going to be easy for him with the success of uh, Irishman? What do you think? No, I, I just, even the subject matter. I mean, to me, it seems like if nothing else, it would have made a great 10-episode miniseries on Netflix or something. I don't, I really am baffled by the amount of money this movie is supposed to cost. I mean, it's set in Oklahoma in the 20s. Well, wide open spaces and oil derricks or whatever. I mean, what costs a lot of money? I, I, I don't know. I'm baffled by it. Yeah, it is. It's it's really a crazy thing. All right, Fifty Shades of Geek writes, uh, John Campy. It's always nice when somebody wants to write in and say something nice. Mister Spock sounds logical. Good application there of some Mister Spock quote. I like that. Thanks, Fifty Shades. All right, Willow writes. Uh, this might be a little weird to say, but your apology video where you lamented not having raised more money reminds me of the scene in Schindler's List uh, when Schindler broke down for not saving more lives. I didn't do enough. Uh, you did so much. Oh, thank. That's a really nice sentiment. Thank you, Willow. I, I am. I am no Schindler, obviously, but uh, that's a really sweet thing to write. Thank you so much, Willow. That's uh, that's really nice. I appreciate that. Um, Morris Codes writes. Uh, I don't know if this is widespread, but CSN Bay Area is having the Giants announcers call a live broadcast of Major League Baseball, the show games against the team. Yeah, let me try this again. I don't understand. (laughs) I know. I don't know if this is widespread, but CSN, which I don't know what that is. Bay Area is having the Giants announcers call a live broadcast of Major League Baseball, the show games against the team San Francisco would have been playing that day in an hour. Hearing them try to keep up with the edits was fun. I'm not sure I follow. Do you follow? I don't know what it is he's saying. I I guess they're calling games that never actually happened. Oh, okay. So they're just making it up. I guess so. I mean, which is kind of funny. I mean, it's it's a new form of sports fiction. That if that's that, what that, it is, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That actually sounds really really fun. Okay, uh, James knows what's up. Writes. I've been watching and buying a lot of physical media. Yeah, screw streaming. I don't even have Disney Plus. So I think you'll be pleased to know that I bought Mystery Men since you're always talking about it. Better uh, be better be the beat five bucks. Better be the best five bucks. You probably might say I ever spent, dude. Five bucks for Mystery Men. You're in for a treat, man. I. Love that movie to no end. It was a movie well ahead of its time and I think plays just as well today. Casanova Frankenstein is one of my favorite antagonists of any comic book movie ever with the Disco Boys, of course. It's fabulous. Captain Greg Kinnear is Captain Amazing. I mean, it's Hank Azaria, William H. Macy, uh, Ben Stiller, uh, uh, Garofalo, uh, Pee Wee Herman's in it. It's just, it's so much fun. I think you're going to have a good time, James. I hope you have. Make sure you write to me and let me know what you thought of it once you have a chance to watch it. All right. Um, Christian34 writes, Hey, all. I hope all is well. It is well, Christian. Thank you. Uh, comment first about yesterday. My fellow Americans is with Jack Lemon and James Garner. Yeah, I mentioned, uh, mentioned about that one. Uh, very funny. My question is, do you like to see some European art house movies? My favorite uh, is the Tin turin horse from hungary stay safe listen i'm not gonna lie i don't see a lot of them um not a lot of them come across my desk i have a hard enough time trying to keep up with all the the hollywood films and television that's out there and i have a really hard time keeping up with tv as well there's a lot of tv i don't watch um so i I'll, i don't get around to watching a lot of european art house films i have to admit every once in a while one comes across my desk that i really like but it's it's not often i gotta be honest rob are you familiar with this turn horse the turn horse or any others that really stand out to you i don't know that film but i mean i've grown up watching 
you know foreign foreign cinema i mean i'll i'll watch i'll watch anything from any country no matter what <laughs> you know so a lot of it makes up your collection as a matter of fact yeah it does i have a lot of i own a lot of foreign foreign films so of all kinds from all different countries Okay, let's try this. Um, Jaron Morris writes, I'm not her. You know what? Uh, Maria told me about Sarah and Ellie. I'm warning you are treading on some mighty thin thin ice right now. That conversation in the house scene between Joel and Ellie was not only heartbreaking, but a great scene with just them talking, of course, talking about The Last of Us. Um, There's so there's a look there again. I've had arguments with video game fans for years that video games are awesome and they're made to be video games. They are not as cinematic as people think they are. They're just not. Sorry, they're not. But there are exceptions. Last of Us is clearly one of them. Uh, Last of Us, God of War, Uncharted. There are a few exceptions that really do start to blur those lines between what is narratively appropriate for a video game and what is actually cinematically narrative you know what i mean and there's very few of them but that is one of them and i'm uh, i'm really excited for last of us 2 whenever it happens to come out jaron morris also writes with all with all the death darkness and and loss uh joel and ellie experience not sure if you remember but the giraffe scene it's joel and ellie looking over a balcony seeing a giraffe and its family was beautiful and one of my favorite moments in the video game history i don't recall that scene to be honest with you i, I don't remember that one but uh rob i know uh, you're yes, last of I, us i vaguely remember that um uh vaguely but I, I, you know, because what has it been? Five years since The Last of Us came out. It's, it's like been, a, it's been a while. It's, it's weird. It still feels like it just came out not too long ago, but it's actually like been forever since the game came out. It's kind of crazy. All right, um, Russell Amador writes in. And then we will have to uh, let Rob go because he's got things he's got to do. Uh, hey, John, have you seen Siri, uh, seen Killer Joe? Yes, I have, by any chance. I stumbled across this movie on Hulu, and man, this thing is something else. Matthew McConaughey <laughs> puts on quite a show. I was straight mind blown uh, for all the wrong reasons behind his character and plot. Yeah, I, I, st- I was talking, Rob. I remember I was talking about this movie year, like when it came out years ago. I was really Good. impressed. And it's one of those other movies that's like, man, McConaughey is legit. Like it was, it was in an era when we were really realized just how good McConaughey was. But I love that film, Rob. What about you? Oh, directed by William Friedkin, who directed The Exorcist, written by Tracy Letts. My God, and what a dark movie, man! It goes to some dark places. You'll never look at a chicken drumstick the same again. Let me tell you, <laughs> I love Killer Joe, and there's a great. You got to watch like the uncut version because woo, it's it's rough. It's so good. Well, Rob, listen here. We know you got a bunch of things you got to do today, so we'll see you back here again tomorrow. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and all your adventures online? Uh, you can find me. First of all, John, it's been a great five years. I just want to say it's been a great five years. It has years been a great on, five years. On, uh, and I look forward to five more years. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations. The show about something. All right. Thanks for being here, Rob. And of course, we will see you again tomorrow. Have a good one, man. You too. All right, guys. Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett here, giving his glory to all of us. And uh, when the trailer drops, his pants will drop. Somebody please make me that T-shirt and uh, or at least the design. Somebody make that design and send it off to me because I got to see that. Anyway, guys, we still have about 20 minutes. Let's fly through these and get through as many as we can here. Uh, Chira writes, hi, thanks for taking the question. No problem. How to get into movie production without a degree in film. Hope everyone has a great day. Well, 
two things. Uh, one, I am not a filmmaking professional, so I'm really not the best guy to ask. I've, I've done it. I do it by just doing it. I mean, that it's really is as simple as that to many degrees. You want to make a movie? Pick up the great film instructor, Dove S.S. Simmons, once said, here's how you make a movie. Pick up a camera, hit record, say action. Sorry, pick up a camera, point it at a couple of friends, hit record and say action. Two hours later, say cut and stop the recording. There, you've made a movie. Pick up a camera, go make a movie. That's what you do. I would ask you the question though, Cherry, listen, if you, if it is seriously your dream, if it is seriously your dream, go to film school. Don't look for shortcuts. And if, if you can figure out a way to afford it, don't look for shortcuts. How can I achieve my dream without actually putting in the work of achieving my dream? I know it's hard. It's a mountain to climb. It's, it's strange, whatever. But if you actually, if it's your dream and it's what you really want to do, bite down, put in the work, do what you got to do. Maybe you don't go to USC or the most pre- prestigious film schools in the world, but put in the work. Go do it. And as short of that, then put in other work. Just start doing it. Don't sit around and wait for somebody to give you an opportunity. Just go do it. Just go do it. But I'd say if you're serious, people will take you more seriously. If you've shown that you take it seriously and you were willing to put in the the, the, the struggle, the time and the years and the work to go and study film, to go and do that. If you want people to take you seriously, go do that. You don't have to. Not everybody has. But either way, it's going to be work. Do it yourself or get to school. Show that you really want to pursue it. That's that's the best advice I can give. All right. Uh, KFB writes, uh, hey, John, hope all is well. So I work at a cinema and before the lockdown in my country, I got to see A Quiet Place 2. Nice. I'm jealous because I have not seen that movie uh, at a special screening. It's just as good as the first, maybe better. What do you think Krasinski should do next? Stay safe. Well, I mean, whatever. It doesn't matter. Krasinski just needs to keep working. And he needs to direct again. I'd love to see what he directs next after A Quiet Place. But Quiet Place 2 was my number one most anticipated movie of the year because Quiet Place was my number one film of the year in 2018. And so I'm very, very looking forward to this movie. I'm a little bit jealous, KFB, that you got to see it already. Uh, Thanks for the update on that. Ryan Lohner writes, uh, finally saw Jojo Rabbit. And during a certain shot in the pool scene, I was thinking, is that the shoe scene? What's the big deal? Uh, Then I got to see the real one, and I'll just say those shoes are the new red coat from Schindler's List. Yeah, I know, right? I've I've had so many people, Ryan, write to me because I've been talking about Jojo Rabbit, which is just an incredible, incredible film, and talking about the shoe scene, which will stay with me forever. The shoe scene will always be a scene I will remember for the rest of my movie-loving life. And I've had so many people writing to me saying, you know, John, I heard you talk about the shoe scene so much. I never thought it would live up to the height. And then I saw it. Oh, my God. I know, right? And for those of you who have not seen it, and I guess I can take off my headphones now. Uh, for those of you who have not seen Jojo Rabbit, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll see the shoe scene. And you, will too, will go, oh, my God. You, too, will go, oh, my God. So thanks for that, Ryan. All right. Uh, Potvin versus Hextall. A little... Uh, goalie versus uh, versus defenseman battle there. Denny, Dennis Podvan, of course, one of the great defensemen on the uh, 1980s New York Islanders. Ron Hextall, one of the great Philadelphia Flyer goaltenders. Anyway, hey, John, I'm watching theme trilogies these days. Nice. Round one, Westerns, The Searchers, first time. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, first time. And Back to, back to the Future 3. I'm not a big fan of Back to the Future 3. Uh, next up, Frat Boys, Revenge of the Nerds, Animal House, Fraternity Vacation. I've not seen Fraternity Vacation vacation 
I've not seen Fraternity Vacation. Um, so that one I'm not sure, but Revenge of the Nerds, Animal House, pff, you're in for a treat, dude. By the way, uh, Felix One, as in Felix Pot. Oh, Felix, you're talking about, you're not talking about the, okay, you're talking about Felix Potvin, the goalie. I thought you were talking about Dennis Potvin, the uh, defenseman for the New York Islanders. I got it. I got it. I see what you're saying there. Okay. Uh, Greg Scott Bailey writes, uh, sends in like a $20 tip. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate that, man. Forget Snyder Cut. Bring me the Eric Stoltz Cut of Back to the Future. Of course, he was the guy who was going to be playing Marty McFly before and actually started shooting uh, before Michael J. Fox did. Uh, cut of Back to the Future. Joking. Fun fact. Eric Stoltz was originally Marty for a few weeks before uh, Michael J. Fox. Extra fun fact. TV show Fringe showed a scene where the Stoltz version was, was the one released. I saw all of Fringe and I don't remember that. That actually sounds really fun. I've seen that entire series, and I don't remember that. That I got to go back now and see if I can find that, Greg, because that sounds amazing. Thank you for putting that on my radar, man. I got to check that out. All right. And by the way, if you haven't watched the Fringe series, you really should. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Albert writes, Hey, John and Co. I recommend Kim's Convenience on Netflix. I keep having people tell me about this. A great show about a Korean family that owns a convenience store in Toronto. Funny, but also some very heartfelt moments. Also, very short 20-minute episodes. So easy to binge. Also, thanks for all you do. You know what's funny? We were, Ann and I were actually... Um, uh, scrolling through Netflix the other day and came across Kim's Convenience and she mentioned she really wants to watch it. I'm like, I'm always down for watching a good Canadian show. So we're going to be watching that one. So thank you for adding your voice to the uh, to the throng saying we should watch Kim's Convenience, Albert. I appreciate that very much. All right, Dan Ketchum writes, uh, Super Shot ScarJo will crush them. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, we'll see. I don't think, um, like... I don't know. We'll have to see. It might pleasantly surprise us. I'm not expecting it to be a billion dollar film, but it does have that potential. Does have the potential. Um, so I'll have to wait and see. Uh, Bond can be very, very popular. Listen, last time we had a great Bond movie, it cracked the billion dollar mark. The last time we had a not so great Bond movie, it still made $880 million. It's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be really interesting, Dan. All right. MP writes, uh, that 143 Kitty Pride movie sounded cool. Kevin Feige could still let 20th Century make it, uh, have it in the Deadpool universe as long as the script is good. Well, I mean, it, it becomes, it depends. Listen, if Kevin Feige wants nothing to do with that character, then yes, you can go ahead and, and put in a Deadpool universe and stuff like that. But that's where it starts to get tricky. Um, I do think Deadpool will be in a separate universe. I'm not willing to put money on that. I just think that's what they'll do. It seems to, I think it's the best thing to do. Have Deadpool outside of the MCU. I think that's the best thing to do. And I think there's a good chance that that is what they do. But I don't know that for sure. And they very well could go a different way. But if you are going to put them in a different universe, you can put some X-Men characters in there. It just has to be X-Men characters that you don't plan on using in the MCU. And that's where it gets a little bit tricky. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, Ash M writes, I love the game Stardew Valley. Somebody mentioned that one yesterday. And I've got to try that out. Like 10 out of 10 rating on Steam. Uh, my boyfriend got me into it. It's like Animal Crossing meets a farming game. You and Anne should play it. I've heard it's a very relaxing, chill, but really engaging game. And so I am very much looking forward to trying it. I am going to try it out, as a matter of fact. I'm definitely going to try it out. So thank you for the recommendation, Ash. All right, Django19 writes, Saw The Descent, reminding me of A Quiet Place, 8.5 out of 10. I love The Descent. It is my second favorite horror movie of the last 20 years. Uh, I like Descent too, not nearly as much, but The Descent, I just 
freaking love that movie. Absolutely love that movie. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Django. Django also writes, saw Mr. River. Oh, the Clint Eastwood thing with Sean Penn. So, so good. Uh, it's Clint Eastwood, so I'm not surprised. Uh, sorry, I saw Mr. River and I loved it. It's Clint Eastwood, so I'm not surprised. But I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, so I was never aware uh, of this movie. But what a cast. Sean Penn, Tim Robbins, Kevin Bacon, Lawrence Fishburne. What are your thoughts on I oh, I was just talking about this movie last week. I love this movie. And I believe Sean Penn actually won the Academy Award for Best Actor for it. Correct me in the live chat if I'm wrong, but I believe Sean Penn won Best Actor for this. It's fantastic. It's It's got a little bit of a... Um, a more modern film that's that's kind of like in a way, I guess, would be The Town in a way. Um, thematically, I mean, at any rate. But Mystic River is so powerful and the performances are so good. And it really is Clint Eastwood at the height of his powers as a director in many ways. I love that film, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, Adam K writes, thoughts on Disney planning a Robin Hood remake? Yeah, that came up the other day. Robin, they're planning on making a live action animated hybrid remake of the Robin Hood. Remember the animated one with the fox? Robin Hood, little John running through the forest. You remember that one? Um, I love that movie interesting i can't get terribly hyped about it after what they did with uh lady and the tramp which i did not think was any good i didn't think their lady and the tramp was any good so i'm a little uh, let's say i'm curious i'm curious but I, I don't think i can get too hyped for it quite yet uh let's see Django writes thoughts on Cop Car, good short thriller. I'm not familiar with Cop Car, to be honest with you. Django also writes, saw Mud on Netflix and really enjoyed it. Thought, love Mud. We were talking about that again the other day, talking about this whole Matthew McConaughey thing, too. Mud was great. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, GQ writes, what do you think of Jason Bateman? Love Jason Bateman. Personally, I love watching him on screen and love his style of calm acting. Do you think he's good or does he just know how to pick roles that fit his style? I think he deserves more recognition. No, listen, the whole reason I tried start to start watching Ozark is because I love Jason Bateman. And his movie Game Night is so fun. But there's something about he's the straight man comedic actor, but he plays it so well that not only is he great, he makes the other actors he works with look better. He's, he's that type of comedic actor where he does great himself, but he plays his characters in such a way, particularly in comedy, that he makes the other characters around him seem funnier. And it's that kind of deadpan straight straight man approach that he often takes that I just think is great. I love watching him in movies. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Jason Bateman. All right. Uh, the Titan, Titan Jewel writes, thoughts on Disney Plus censoring movies like CGing Daryl's, Daryl Hannah's butt out of Splash and removing the sex scene from Avatar uh, ponytail merging thing. Don't care. Don't care. It's their movie. Listen. It's people misuse the term censorship. Censorship is when somebody else forces you to do something that is your art or forces you to do something with your viewing habits. A studio taking a movie that they have the right and is theirs and wanting to make changes to it, that's their purview. Look. I hate what George Lucas did to the Star Wars Special Edition. All right? There's a few actually good things in it, to be honest. But overall, I hate the Special Edition. I mean, I still love them. It's the Star Wars movies. But I hate the changes that he made. 
right? It didn't make me hate the movies. It just made me hate the changes that he made. But I will, you'll never hear me say he didn't have a right to do it. His movies, they're his movies. At, the, at least at the time, they were his. He can do what he wants with them. I don't have to like it, but you'll never hear me say that George Lucas shouldn't have been allowed to make those changes to his movie. No, hell no. They're his movies. He can do whatever he wants to them. And it's not censorship, you know? Um, and if Disney wants to put a family, put a, a film on a family-friendly network, they are going to have to make some changes to a couple things, maybe, to make it applicable to put it on their streaming thing. But again, it's theirs. It's not like the government went to Disney and said, we are forcing you to do this. That's censorship. That's censorship. Disney making a decision or an artist making a decision or whatever on their own movie, that's their call. And if they want to do it for a movie that they want to put up on Disney Plus, I get it. It makes sense. It's really not an issue. Um, like seeing Daryl Hannah's ass while a glorious experience, it doesn't make the movie any less good. It doesn't change anything about the movie. So personally, eh, I don't even think about it. It means nothing to me. I don't care. Now, again, it would be different if like the government was forcing Disney to make changes. Well, now we're talking censorship and that's where it gets sticky. But something like this, I honestly don't care about. I really don't care about it. All right. Uh, he also writes, you should direct the Nintendo Sony crossover movie, Princess Peach, God of <laughs> Princess Peach, God of War. Also, technically, every movie you make is a Burton movie. But yes, any movie I make is a Burton movie because the English translation of my middle name is Burton, actually. Bertano is Burton. That is, uh, that is the English translation of my middle name, actually. So, good observation. Uh, all right, James L.H. writes, Hey, John, been following your AMC updates. Although I use Cineworld, I'm obviously concerned as this will affect all. It will. It will affect everybody. Uh, I'm obviously concerned this will affect all. The UK's largest cinema is Odeon, who are a subsidiary of AMC from 2016. Since then, they upgraded the theaters and renamed as Odeon Lux. Yeah, and a lot of theaters in the last number of years, particularly AMC, have been spending a lot of money to upgrade their theaters to give us a better experience of going. They are the cathedral of movies now. I love going to AMC Primes, and I love going to like an Alamo Draft House or a, a movie studio grill where they have like big leather recliner seats and then this glorious experience of being in there. I love it. It's great. But that costs money and they spent all that money to make it like that and then they got shut down. It's a horrible, horrible situation, James. And you're right. What's happening to AMC is going to have a ripple effect across the industry and it's something we all need to be concerned about. So you're, you're right to be concerned about that. Uh, James LH also writes, one of two. John, not sure if you read an interview with with Cineworld's Mookie Grind uh, uh, Greedinger uh, on Deadline, wasn't impressed with Universal. He said, you do not change the rules of the game when your partner is in its worst situation. I agree. I, I Look, listen, we, we talked about that. I thought what Universal did was a Bush League move. The theaters have always been there for them. And the fact that this is the really Bush League bullshit thing of what Universal did. And I'm a fan of Universal Studios. Don't get me wrong, but I when I I don't care if I'm a fan of them or not. When I see bullshit, I'm going to call it. The fact that they didn't even give a heads up to the movie theaters that they were doing this when they were at their lowest point, when the theaters were in their most trouble, the theaters that have always been there for them, and then without any consultation, without even talking to them, they just pulled one of the theatrical films out of theater to put it live on streaming. That was a giant f you to their to the people who've always been there for them it was a bullshit move 
uh, it was really low. It was really, really low. And whereas all the other studios, like they were in constant communication, talking with the movie theaters because they know they are their partners. You've always been there for us. We've been there for you. It's a partnership. We all make money together. And yeah, it was terrible. Anyway, let me keep reading what he said there. He wasn't impressed with Universal. He said, you do not change the rules of the game when your partner is in its worst situation. He talked about international markets. He said to pay full expenses without big U.S. movies is impossible. He said, it's not realistic to open with older movies at a cheaper price. That would be okay for 10 to 14 days, but needs the U.S. back in order to have international markets back also. I agree. And that makes a lot of sense. Look, you can open the theaters back up because let's be honest here. Once it's time for the theaters to open back up, there's not going to be big Hollywood films ready to go as soon as the theaters open back up. So you need to open to back up the theaters, put in some older films, cheap price, just get the audience back into the habit of coming back to the theaters or at least knowing they can go back to the theaters if they want. But it's not a long term plan. You can't do that for eight weeks, but it's a good way to open things up get the machine running again, and then you start dropping in the major films again, and hopefully then things will get back to a relative new normal at that point, but we will have to see. Uh, okay. Jared McBride writes, who would win in a fight? Prometheus versus Deathstroke uh, from the Arrowverse. Mm, I'm going to go Deathstroke. I, I think Deathstroke wins that, particularly if he's got the Mirakuru. Uh, but even without the Mirakuru, I think Deathstroke wins that fight. That's just me personally. Although I do like the Prometheus character. Uh, Michael Bradley writes, Hello, John. I saw you mention Person of Interest recently, and I can't recommend it enough. A great show that goes into overdrive as it goes. Yeah, somebody else wrote that in the other day to recommend Person of Interest. I know a lot of people that watch that show. They've always loved it. I watched the first two episodes, maybe three, and I really enjoyed it i just i have no idea why i didn't keep watching it because i really enjoyed it at some point i'm gonna have to get back on now obviously right now i've got a lot of television that's new that i need to get caught up on before i start going back to older stuff but at some point i do want to get back on uh i want to get back on person of interest all right captain chicken pants writes irks me when i hear certain actors don't want their own don't watch their own movies uh is it not constructive to see how they appear on screen for final movie more so for a franchise recently uh being jesse eisenberg's lex um yeah i don't understand that mentality for anybody involved in any creative thing looks look when an athlete plays right and you got to perform whether you're an actor you perform you got to deliver a performance. When you're a professional athlete, you got to deliver a performance. What do NFL teams do? They sit down for eight hours a day and watch game film. Not only of the other team, but they watch game film of themselves. Say, let's really break down and analyze how we did what we did. Like running backs, look at the way you, you handled that. Look, you missed the A-gap. Look, you're, you're, you're running too far to the outside in that time. You're spending too much time in pursuit. You got to go more north to south. You get whatever it is. They analyze their own performance. I will tell you what, for years and forever, the first thing I do most of the time when I'm done a show, I listen or watch the show because I try to watch what are things, what are the habits I'm forming? What are the things that are doing? What are my tendencies? How did I do? Did I over communicate that? Did I under communicate that? Did I make a good enough of a point? Did I spend enough time on this issue? Did I not? You know, I'm always trying to watch and figure it out. I will never understand an actor that thinks they're so good. They don't need to do that. Unless that actor happens to be named Daniel Day Lewis in which he is the greatest actor of all time. He can do whatever he wants. 
he can shit his pants while he's performing a scene. It doesn't matter. He's Daniel Day-Lewis. He's the greatest that's ever done it. But other than that, I don't understand actors that don't feel like they need to watch and analyze their own work to try to improve. I don't get it, Captain Chicken Pants. I'm, I'm a little bit in the dark on that, too. All right. Uh, 24 Savage uh, writes, why didn't Sony more... Why didn't Sony Morbius in October and Venom put in 2021? I know they don't feel the need to do so. I, I mean, that's just simple. They just don't feel the need to do so. All right. KD501 writes, hey, John, are you watching Clone Wars season seven? No. Uh, listen, I'll be honest with you. I watched the first episode of season seven. Look, I'm not a fan of Clone Wars. I've watched all of Clone Wars. Contrary to some idiots belief, people say, well, John didn't even watch. No, I watched it all. I, I watched most of it with Christian Harloff. I, I watched all of Clone Wars. I'm just not a fan. I know some people have a hard time believing that other people don't like something that they like. But I, I, I don't. But hey, if you like Clone Wars, that's awesome. Great. Good on you. That's fantastic. I, Clone Wars wasn't for me. Had its upsides. Overall, didn't work for me. But I did try watching episode one of season seven. Because it's been a couple of years. It's a new outing. I It's the one with the Bad Bunch. Not impressed. Not impressed. So, no, I'm not watching uh, it anymore. But, again, I'm not trying to poo-poo on it for anybody else that does like it. If you like it, awesome. But, you know, this wasn't for me. All right. Uh, Mason Larkins writes, uh, Morning, guys. I just realized that every movie I see, uh, every movie this year has been delayed. All except for Venom 2. It's time for Sony to be a hero and drop the damn trailer already. Uh, what would what would they have to lose by putting it out online? Well, it's a matter of strategy. Look, if they think there's a possibility that they may have to move, and they very well will probably have to move Venom 2, but if they think they may have to move it to December, or heaven forbid, if they feel that they need to move it to January or February or March of 2021 then you risk, by dropping trailers now, you risk having the same thing happen that happened to Godzilla, King of the Monsters, last year. You start putting out trailers too early, the the hype and the buzz and all that kind of stuff just dissipates and disappears. And then by the time the movie does start coming up, people are going, really, that movie? Didn't that one come out like eight months ago? You know what I mean? You have to be strategic. Now, I had heard that a Venom 2 trailer was supposed to drop last week. And it didn't. So I would love to see a Venom 2 trailer, but they still have to be strategic about it. Because, listen, I would tell them, if this movie isn't going to come out till December, you don't drop a trailer right now. You do not drop a trailer right now if the movie's not going to come out to December. If it's going to come out in October, yeah, maybe you can start looking at dropping a trailer now, but they got to be strategic about it. You got to understand, you know, buzz, you got to understand hype. You got to understand trying to blow your load too early, like what happened with Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I, I still really do believe that killed that movie. That and the fact that it wasn't a very good movie. But I think them blowing their load weight a year in advance, I really think that hurt that movie a lot. And I don't think so. I don't think Sony wants to make that same mistake with Venom 2. But we will wait and see. All right. Um, but I would love to see it. I would love to see it. Uh, aha! Or, ah, right. My prediction in the epic showdown of Kong versus Godzilla, the real winner will be Pete Doctor. Hashtag make Pixar great again. Of course, Pete is directing Soul, which is coming out. I don't know if Soul will make more money than Godzilla versus Kong. But listen, these Godzilla and Kong movies, they've been dropping in box office movie after movie. And so if this one comes in at like 350, because I think Godzilla King of the Monsters made like 380, 380, 390. 
then yeah, maybe Soul could beat it. Maybe Soul can beat him. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I love Pixar, man. They do such a good job. Miguel Zayan writes, Hey, John, just saw Dune photos. Aren't they great? Uh, and I hope they market this better than Blade Runner because this movie could be the next big thing. What's uh, what's the thing on their nose? Oh, you got to go back to the thing. Like the Arrakis is a very hostile environment. So everything is about survival and just them being able to live. Now, the big mistake here's hope you know what i was talking about i hope they understand and learn from their mistakes that they made with godzilla king of the monsters they've got to learn from their mistakes uh with the last evil new film blade runner 2049 that was a horrible marketing campaign horrible marketing campaign never once did they ever tell the audience what the movie was about i'm not saying give spoilers away i'm not saying but you got to tell the, the audience what's this movie about this whole thing of, you don't need to tell us what it's about. Yes, you do. And Blade Runner 2049, which was a great movie, flopped because of it. They put on all these trailers and never once in any of their trailers did they ever give the slightest clue what the movie was about. And I've always given this example, Miguel, that it's like going into Best Buy and they have on these shelves just a big blank white box. And it says like $25 on it for this big blank white box. And you ask the you ask the Best Buy associate, you say, oh, what's 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 in the box? Oh, we can't tell you that, sir. That would spoil the surprise. So you, you just want me to pay you 25 bucks for this box when I don't even know what's in it, when I have no idea what, like, can you, can you, is it an electronic? Is it a, is it a, is it a lamp? Can you just give me a basic idea? No, sir, we can't do that. You should just buy that white box. That's what the Blade Runner 2049 marketing was. It was, look, it's Blade Runner. Great. What's it about? Oh, we can't tell you what it's about. You don't have to tell me how it ends. I just, but what, what's the story? What's the idea of the movie? Oh, no, we can't tell you that. You should just go to it because it's Blade Runner. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. And uh, and hopefully they do a much, much, they learn a lot of lessons uh, from their failure there and uh, do something much better with uh, the new one. Uh, Mickey Altieri writes, holy crap, I think Better Call Saul just surpassed Breaking Bad for me. I feel this show is still criminally underappreciated. The final scene of last night's episode uh, had me more tense than the entirety of Breaking Bad. I stood up and didn't sit down until it ended. You know, what's funny. That's another show. I got, I think, three seasons into Breaking Bad. Uh, sorry, not Breaking Bad, uh, Better Call Saul. I think I got three seasons into Better Call Saul. And I liked it very much. And I never kept watching. I don't know why. I I honestly have no idea why. I just watched three seasons. And then I kind of drifted away from it. And I enjoyed the three seasons. But I keep hearing that the the subsequent seasons were all just as good. And they're all great. And at some point, I need to get back on them, Mickey. Glad you enjoyed it, man. All right. Next up. Iconic Reactions writes, Tom Hardy's legend, uh, Paranoid Schizophrenic Walks Into a Bar, uh, scene is one of the best of his career. That's not a gun. It's an effing rolling pin. I love it. Tom Hardy has turned in. Look, we all think of him as this great badass kid. But he is honestly a terrific character what's the name of the movie with tom hardy again where he's just alone in his car um i gotta i this is killing me because he's fantastic and it actually reminds me a lot of ryan reynolds buried movie where it's like just him in the movie let me just see if i can find the, the name of it here uh not child 44 not the drug lock lock l-o-k-e 
Locke, if you guys get a chance, you really should check out this movie of his uh, called Locke. It was from 2013. It's basically just him. It's basically just him in the movie, really. Uh, him and a lot of just voices. That's all you hear. It's just, just him and a lot of voices. Uh, directed by Stephen Knight. If you get a chance to check that one, I also recommend that one. Um, I also recommend that one, Iconic, because that one's. I think that's one you'll enjoy as well. Okay. Let's keep going here. i uh, got time for just a couple more here, guys. Uh, Murray Reich writes, I saw the rhythm section, and I found it very boring and disappointing. I wasn't looking forward to it, but I thought the trailer made it look like it was a lot of action. I thought the trailer looked great, too. The one with Blake Lively. I thought the trailer looked awesome, to be honest with you. Uh, made it look like it was a lot of action, but it was so boring and depressing. Lively gives a pretty good performance, but it didn't save it. And that's unfortunate. Look, I Blake Lively deserves to be a bigger star than she is. I've always been impressed with her. The one I really first took notice of her in was not a great movie, but the performances in it were great. It was called, uh, I believe it was called Savages, uh, that she was in with um, uh, Taylor Kitsch. And why am I forgetting the name of uh, uh, Kick-Ass? I'm forgetting a, a Taylor something... Taylor something anyway uh, whatever um she that was the first time I really noticed Blake Lively I'm like oh my god she's great and last year I you guys keep hearing me talk about this movie uh simple favor last year with Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively and Henry Golding from Crazy Rich Asians she is so good in that movie um then you have that movie with her at the shark I mean she simply deserves I you know what Blake Lively I don't know why it feels to me like Blake Lively is almost a. this is terrible terminology, but just follow me here is almost career wise, a victim of her own incredible beauty. Like Blake Lively is just one of the most male or female, one of the most beautiful creatures to walk the face of the earth, male or female. She's absolutely stunning, but I can't help but wonder if people look past her straight up thespian skills because she's just so attractive. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Margot Robbie gets away with it, being stunningly beautiful and being recognized for being as talented as she is. I don't know. Maybe it's just the projects she's picking and the project. But I'm telling you, guys, listen, if you have not watched that movie she did, uh, Simple Favor, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I loved that movie. It's one of my biggest pleasant surprise movies of the last five years. It's really just wonderful. Go check it out if you get a chance. All right, next up, Corey O writes, Hey, John and Rob, who's not here right now. I um, So I'm someone who grew up watching re uh, reruns of Star Trek, the original series, Me Too, with my dad and have always been a casual fan. I enjoyed it, but didn't love the JJ films. So when Picard came on, I decided to check it out. I enjoyed the show overall, but wasn't, um, but I was disappointed in the season finale. I had never seen an episode of The Next Generation, and it got me interested in watching. Well, I just finished season one, and I'm already hooked. Riker and Worf are my favorite characters so far. And this is a show, Next Generation is great. And I like Picard. I like Picard very much. But Next Generation, it's my all-time favorite Star Trek series. Next Generation is my all-time favorite Star Trek series. This is a series that evolves. Season three is very different from season one. And Worf, to me, becomes a better and better character as the show goes on. I'm glad you found that series, Corey. I think you're, I'm kind of jealous that you now get to embark on this for the first time. And I cannot wait for you to get to the series finale. The series finale, Star Trek The Next Generation, a two-parter called All Good Things. 
probably the best series finale ever in television history. Yeah, I'll say it. The Next Generation, All Good Things, is the best series finale in television history, I believe. But anyway, that's just me. All right, The Dark Side writes, started The Sopranos for the first time yesterday. Nice. That's You are in for some all-time great television. It's not an exaggeration to say Sopranos is one of the all-time great television shows. Certainly one of the most influential, certainly one of the most award-winning. I think you're going to have a good time with that dark side. All right, uh, BK Dan just sends in a super chat to be supportive. Thank you, BK. Selma McShave writes, is Trolls more front-loaded than theatrical releases? Well, tech, when you look at... Here's the thing. It's hard to say right now. Traditionally, yes. Movies that come out on digital make even more money front-end loaded than the theatrical releases do. But this is a different set of circumstances. We're in lockdown. Everybody's at home. Everybody's at home with their kids. Kids aren't in school. So just because technically that's the... Yes, home releases are more front-end loaded normally, but that might not be the case right now because right now we're living in an upside down world. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this kind of unravels. All right. BK Dan writes, just watch Onward and looked at it as a D&D. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is, uh, BK. A Dungeons and Dragons adventure. He gets a quest and goes on an adventure for a magic item. Listen, so you know me and my wife, Anne, we play D&D. Actually, Anne is our dungeon master. And uh, so we play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, my wife is a fabulous DM. But that's exactly what the whole movie was. It felt like a and d adventure. It totally was that, which is just kind of added to our enjoyment of it, BK. So same observation as us. Uh, Danny Sanchez writes, Rewatched Captain America Winter Soldier. The portal on your left scene is actually a nod to the intro when Cap is running circles around Anthony Mackie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that was clearly. that's That was the callback. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows that on your left. Everybody knows that. Um, uh, but it was a great callback. That's why, because if it wasn't for that, the line on your left is kind of a stupid line. But him saying it, knowing the line and what it means between Sam and Cap, saying on your left, that's why everybody got excited when they said it. So yes, absolutely, Danny. That is absolutely a throwback to to uh, Winter Soldier, one hundred percent. Leo Milmet writes, "Congrats again, John, on the live stream. Uh, amazing work. Thank you. Hope you got my message of support. I, I got a lot of messages of support, guys, which is overwhelming. So thank you so much for that. Um, you're you're a mensch. Also, just rewatched Billy Wilder's One Two Three, and it's absolutely brilliant. Fans of sixty political satire, go watch. You know, I never did watch One Two Three. Hold on a second. Actually, I'm saying that." But um, but maybe I did. One, two, three. Um, the James Cagney film. Actually, you know, there's a couple of movies called One, Two, Three. There's the Cagney film. Now there's the the um, the Taking of Pelham One, Two, Three. But I think you're probably talking about the Billy Wilder one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. No, this one I never did watch. James Cagney. Oh, one of the all-time greats. He's like clearly one of the most recognizable Hollywood classic stars of all time. That one I never did watch. I will have to. In the West Berlin, in West Berlin during the Cold War, a Coca-Cola executive is given the task of taking care of his boss's socialite daughter. Sounds great to me. Sign me up. It sounds good. Thanks for the recommendation, Leo. Uh, Alpha Orego writes, the $20 million trolls did for opening day, not weekend. But it's, is it though? That's the thing. See, the LA Times article makes a scene say that the the messaging on that was a little bit convoluted. They're not really clear on that. 
And so even Universal right now is saying they're not 100% sure what it is. So let's wait to see the smoke settles and see what the actual thing is. Because even, even Universal right now are saying they can't give 100% accurate numbers. Uh, Nosferatu writes, what's the difference between a continuity error and a plot hole? Well, a plot hole doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with continuity. Continuity error. A simple continuity error. Uh, camera is on the, the teenagers at the mall. And they're talking, teenagers at the mall, and the dude is wearing a red shirt. Cut to another scene of a, one of the parents, teen's parents doing something else. Cut back to the mall, but now all of a sudden, the teen who is wearing a red shirt, they're still sitting there having the conversation with the other teen, but now their shirt is black instead of red. Continuity error. Continuity error. Plot hole. Plot hole. Um, teenager trapped in a house, can't get help. Plot hole. The teenager has a cell phone, and for whatever reason, they're not showing the teenager trying to use it. That's a plot hole. These are That's just surface-level examples, but yes. Listen, a continuity error... A continuity error... Can I speak? A continuity error can also be a plot hole, but a continuity error isn't in and of itself a plot hole, nor are plot holes continuity errors. So a continuity error can be one, but they are two distinct different things. All right, uh, Black uh, In Out, 27 writes, made a list of my favorite movies. They include Dark Knight, Armageddon, Infinity War, Step Brothers, Lion King, Shawshank, and Cinderella, uh, the Brandy and Whitney Houston one. I never did see that one. I love the Kenneth Branagh one, though. I'm 31. Keep up the excellent work. Love all the movies you got, and it makes it makes my heart smile that you put Armageddon on your list, because a lot of people hate Armageddon. It is a guilty pleasure of mine. I know a lot of people don't like it. I get it, but for whatever reason, that movie... I just really, really enjoy. It's it's one of my favorite Michael Bay films. I really dig that one. Obviously, Step Brothers is one of my all-time favorite comedies. Shawshank is one of the greatest motion pictures ever made in the history of the world. But I never did see the Whitney Houston Cinderella one. I might have to check that one out sometime. Thank you for the recommendations, Black In and Out. Uh, Gonzalo writes, Hey, John. In 2013, George Lucas predicted that movie tickets will cost $150 and movies looking like Broadway shows and everything else would be on VOD. And movies looking like Broadway shows and everything else will be on VOD. Well, I mean, that there was speculated and talked about long before 2013. Like, I remember back in the day, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, who, you know, J, uh, George Lucas was an associate of and kind of to did tutelage under Francis Ford Coppola. But like back in the 80s, Francis Ford Coppola w was t talked about. The fact that at some point in the future, only certain types of movies will be in theaters. Everything else will just be on television. It wasn't VOD at the time. It was television. Everything else will go to television. So that's kind of an extension of that. Um, whether, But again, I wouldn't jump to equate what's going on right now with what are overall long-term things. We are living in extreme situations right now where things are being done very differently. I think you're gonna see a massive shift back to relative normal when this all thing clears, but but it is something that a lot of filmmakers have been, been talking about for a long time, and it is something we need to keep our eyes on. All right, a man named Pooh Bear writes, wow, has it been five years since I was introduced to Robert Meyer Burnett? Yep, it's been five years. I remember watching Heroes that day. I love John Schnepp. It was a true joy when I got to finally meet Rob at your uh, 100 million view party. Oh, thanks for being there, man, uh, last year. Keep up the great work, by the way. Uh, I miss Chris. Yeah, and you know, once we get everything back to normal, we'll see Chris in here again. 
But yeah, it is weird to think. And I still remember the first time. Um, you know, Schnepp asked, he said, do you mind if I bring on this guy, a friend of mine, Robert Meyer Burnett? And I'm like, oh, what's he like? He said, oh, he's he's a, he's a filmmaker. He's been in the stuff a long time. Real massive, massive geek. Lo- knows his geek stuff so much. Knows his comic books, comic book history better than almost anybody I know. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, sure. Bring him on the show, dude. And uh, we did that first one. And yeah, I just remember thinking, man, he's he's really good. And I really liked working with him at the time. And it's been five years. It's been five years. And thank goodness John Schnepp brought him on. Uh, so it's true. All right. Last couple of questions, guys, and then we're going to have to wrap things up here. Mike Thompson writes, uh, any plans to go to WrestleMania in L.A. next year? Most likely. Uh, I, I don't see how we don't go to WrestleMania in L.A. I mean, who knows if it happens? But yes, we will go. If it is in L.A. next year, we will be there for sure. All right. Anthony Lucalano writes, uh, which film do you think is better, Logan's Run or Westworld? Um, hold on a second. Let me make sure I'm thinking of the right one. Because, like, I don't, you're not talking about, like, the Yule Brenner Westworld, are you? Or are you talking about the TV show Westworld? I, I'm, I'm not sure. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I'm not as big on Logan's run. I remember Brian Singer was going to try to get a Logan's run. Uh, he was working for a while trying to get a Logan's run movie up and running that never actually came to fruition. And now the rights have passed on to somebody else. Somebody else is trying to get a Logan's run. I've never been the biggest fan in the world of the original Logan's run, to be honest with you. And I'm not quite sure which which Westworld we're talking about. So I'm not really sure. All right. Uh, Jason Espinosa writes, I love Tron. Hell yeah, I want another sequel, especially if we can get another amazing Daft Punch soundtrack. Yeah, look, it, the funny thing is, even though a lot of people do not like Tron Legacy, even the people who don't like the movie are like, yeah, but that soundtrack by Daft Punk was really quite good, and it was. It was an exceptional one, so we'll see what happens. Hideaway Killer writes, Trolls did good because the fans love the first Trolls. I think Universal underestimated what this movie could have made in theaters. The new one is just as great. Uh, Both movies uh, have way deeper meanings. Listen, I'll tell you what, Hideaway Killer, I was shocked how much I liked the first Trolls. I was shocked how much I liked the first Trolls um, because I thought it looked silly and kind of dumb. And look, we'll just put up colorful purple characters and the kitties will love it because it's dumb. But honestly, I watched Trolls and I thought it was actually quite good. I liked it. Uh, again, I didn't think this one looked any good, but I mean, I had, I have not watched the new one to be clear. I have not watched the new one, but I know a couple people who have had, and they're all saying, you know, it's not bad. I thought it looked terrible, but I'm hearing a lot of people saying it's actually not bad. So I think you might be right about that, Highway Killer. Maybe we're underestimating how much the audience who saw the first one really did enjoy Because I think most people who saw the first one enjoyed it. Not a hell of a lot of people went to go see the first one, but those that did seem to like it. And that's probably a good point. All right. Uh, Vicarious writes. Hey, John, I've been slowly crossing movies off my list of movies I haven't seen the past two days. I have seen Inception, Stardust. Oh, love Stardust. Most underrated movie ever. Uh, Amistad, my all-time favorite Steven Spielberg film. And Parasite, of course, winner of Best Picture last year. Amistad is definitely made into my top 20. Wow, such a powerful speech by Hopkins at the end. Listen, the performances in Amistad are world-class. And it is probably one of the lesser-known Steven Spielberg movies, but it is my all-time favorite. More than Jaws, more than E.T., more than all the iconic Best Picture nominated films that he's made, Amistad is my favorite. Um, And 
yeah, man, I, I just dig that film so much. And I'm so glad. And Hopkins was amazing in it. Everybody's amazing. And I'm glad you had a chance to check it out, man. It sounds like you've been catching up on a lot of good ones. All right. Grady Edwards writes, everything that Lucasfilm would consider doing animated films to expand on the Star Wars universe. Uh, WB does it with DC with content like uh, Killing Joke or Red Sun. You don't have to put it in theaters. Just put it on home release or Disney Plus thoughts. I think that cheapens the brand, to be honest with you. I think it cheapens the brand. Now, look, they do it with shows already. I mean, you got Clone Wars. They had Rebels. And I'm a, I'm a fan of Rebels. I like Rebels. Um, they already do that to a degree. But one-shot spinoff movie stuff, I, I don't know. Personally, I really do feel like it cheapens the brand a little bit. In particular, not, it would, not that it would cheapen the brand for everything, but I think in a brand like Star Wars, I think like little animated things that you just throw on home video, I, I think that cheapens the brand. But I don't know. I could be wrong. We'll see what they decide to do with that moving forward. It may not be a bad idea, actually. Uh, Triple J's Thoughts writes, Hey, John, going to second that notion about uh, Kim's Convenience. Fantastic show. And you get the 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 preview of Simu Lu, who is in Shang-Chi. Yes, we made a big deal out of that, actually. When they were cast in Shang-Chi, we all made a big deal out of this. Isn't that Canadian show? Blah, blah, blah. But yeah, a lot of people, Triple J, are telling me to check it out. And I'm, uh, I'm actually getting kind of excited about watching it. All right. Abdul Allens writes, Hey, John, your thought on Disney Plus censoring... Okay, we already kind of covered this question. Uh, Splash with Tom Hanks, covering butt with bad CGI hair. Again, I don't, think, I don't know why anybody cares. It's not an issue. It doesn't change anything about the movie. It doesn't change the story. And it's not censorship when you're doing it to your own film. It's theirs now. They can do with it whatever they want. And if that's what you need to do to put it on that streaming service, go for it. I don't care. Like I said before, if the government interceded and said they were forced to do that, I would take issue with it. Otherwise, I really don't care. Um, let's see. And an anonymous viewer just sent in $25 of a tip. Thank you, anonymous viewer, for supporting the channel on that level. And guys, that will do it. For today's installment, a long version of the John Campion Show, thank you so much for being here, guys. Listen, I need all you guys to do the four big things. Stay smart. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves. Take care of the people around you. Do all that, and we'll get all this BS nonsense that we're living through right now behind us sooner rather than later. Guys, thanks so much for being here. I want to remind you guys that if you want to listen to an audio-only podcast feed of this, the podcast is now available on your podcast uh, app of choice. Um, I got an announcement coming for our Patreon supporters in the next day or two. Uh, I particular one thing is about our upcoming view watch party for patreon members only but i also got a couple other things to let you guys know about keep your eyes open for that if you are one of our patreon supporters and by the way if you are one of our patreon supporters thank you so much for being a patreon supporter guys special thank you to all you guys who sent in questions number one because you gave us great fun things to talk about number two you supported the channel while you were doing it don't forget robert meyer burnett and i will both be back again tomorrow for the next installment of the john campus show guys Click subscribe, click the thumbs up button, leave your thoughts in the comments section below. That will do it for us for now. Thanks a lot for being here, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, bye-bye.